0: hi welcome to the program I'm going to turn this back up yeah uh-huh let's feel it let's feel the island rhythms here late November well 2022 a little bit a little bit of 2022 left we're just about done we just about made it out and uh... Welcome everyone to the Jeff Gersman show. It's a podcast that I do here every Tuesday. It's about video games. Dot 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 question mark. And here we are. Uh it's been an interesting a little day here or or I guess to the last 12ish hours. Uh we're going to uh we're we're going to I I am um I am thinking a lot about video games that are appropriate for children, because we are going to take on some house guests for an indeterminate amount of time. Sounds like that's going to be happening a little bit later today. Um, a, um, one of my wife's friends is pregnant and she is, um, in the hospital to have a baby as they say, and, um, and has been trying to find someone, you know, I, I I will leave the, the blow by blow out of it. Long story short, we are going to be looking after her kids for a couple of days. She's got, uh, two boys. I, my understanding is that they are six and nine.
1: Like, like if, if Larry, well, I mean, if, uh, if Larry King were with us, he might, he might say, uh, any way up six and nine 69.
0: I don't, that's not, I don't think that's appropriate. That's probably not, a, probably not appropriate. Um, but here we are. Uh, so yeah, so we're, we're going to be, um, so we'll have four kids in the house <laughs> for some chunk of time here. And, uh, I don't know how that's, I don't know how that's going to go. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how that's going to go. We'll we're going to kind of play it by ear a little bit. And, um, my understanding, I have been told that these boys are interested in video games. And the word that was relayed to me is that they got mini Nintendos for Christmas. I don't know what that means. I'm, 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 a, I, when I think mini Nintendo, I am going to assume it was one of the kind of mini, mini SNESes or something like that. But like, are those still around? Well, I guess it's not Christmas yet. So maybe that was like last year that they got those. I don't know. I don't know. Uh So probably like a SNES classic or something. Maybe I'm not really Sure. So I I don't know. I'm going to, I'll pick their brains and see, look, look, I've got a lot of video games kind of at my fingertips here. So if they show up and they're like, oi, gov, we've been raised on the ZX spectrum. I'll be like, oh, well, I've got Afterburner right here. Let's get into that. And, um, and we can, uh, you know, check out a tick attack and, and all of those sorts of things and, um, attic attack and uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll play some, uh. What do we got? I don't know. What's like, what's a fun, what are, what are fun video games for kids? Uh, stonkers on the spectrum. Is that a hot one? What do we got? We're going to play. I'll play We'll play some Bruce. I'll show him some Bruce Lee, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I hear goat simulator actually is quite big with the kids. So, so maybe we'll, maybe we'll check out the little, uh, goat simulator three. That that's out. That's out. Right. That uh I feel like and I would have I I would have been interested in in playing that game, of course. Um, but it's been out for a little bit, right? And I feel like I have seen zero people talking about it. Absolute zero. Like there was one person last week that said, Hey, goat simulator's out. And I was like, Fuck, really? Like I I did not know it was out. I did not know it was coming out, and I guess it's is it part of part of it is that it is only on the Epic game store and not on steam. So maybe it is not just people are not noticing that it came out. I I don't, I don't really know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's an option. I I have no idea. So yeah, so they're going to be coming over, I think in the afternoon here and, um, we will. We will. We everything will be put to the test. <laughs> we'll see uh, how it all goes. And uh, you know, these, these are kids that my daughter has met before and 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 played with a little bit here and there. And um, so yeah. So we've got a couple of couple of guys coming in to hang out for a few days. And uh, I've never I've never met these kids, but uh, my understanding is that they do enjoy video games and we'll we'll take it from there. I'll be like, I don't know, you want to come out in the garage and help me clean it up? I was out there last night uh, with a vacuum cleaner sucking up all the drywall that had been, um, you know, because we, we got some stuff installed and, and there's just like, we got that drywall work done here on the, on uh, the, for the water damage a few months back and uh and uh, just all that stuff got left in the garage and I was like oh cool and finally finally got some time to get out there and suck up all the just there's just white dust all over everything it's like i've got a freaking blow factory back there or something like robocop a guy comes in and he sticks his fingers in the wine and then sticks both his fingers in his nostrils and and you're like is that something adults do i don't know what is that what is that 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 guy's doing who does that what's happening here i still i'm hey I am in my late 40s. I still don't know what the fuck that guy was doing. I have never seen anyone do that with wine. I was like, is that a thing that wine people do? Or is it like, hey, he had, he took he did the
1: drugs and he wanted to clean out his nose with, something, with some kind of liquid? I, I don't know what that was.
0: I just realized that that has been like low-key haunting me for decades. I don't know what that guy was doing. When he stuck his two fingers in the wine and then stuck the fingers in his nose, while they were doing while they were doing business, where they were doing uh, cocaine business,
1: I don't know. Maybe we'll never know. Um. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. We've we've got to get the house ready for that. Um,
0: and uh, so the archive of this podcast may be posted slightly late because. It's going to be chaos around here, but uh, we'll figure it out. It, it, I'm actually, I'm I'm super up for it. It seems like something that'll just be fun and weird, and hopefully it'll be a useful help to, you know. um, You know, this this family's got to go off and have a baby and stuff, so they need somebody to look after these kids. We're somebody. <laughs> we got a couple of kids. They've made it this far. Why not? So, yeah, I don't know. It'll be... Uh, It'll be fun and weird and, uh, I don't know, like I'll hook up a second controller to the mister. I had this vision, I was laying awake at about 4.30 this morning uh, when I have most of my visions and it was of these two kids playing combat for the 2600 on the mister on the TV here and I was just like, I don't know, maybe that would work. I mean, it's like a, you know, it's a multiplayer game, like not that combat is like, but it's like, hey, you know. It's a competitive multiplayer game. They could they they could enjoy that for a few minutes, probably,
1: probably. Um. So so we'll see. I'm just gonna like
0: force, uh, force weird, super weird old games onto it, onto these kids, and just see what happens. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yeah well you like Mario Kart, yeah, awesome. How about, uh, super sprint here? Let me get, let me get my, uh, I'm going to get my paddle controller out here real quick. It'll work a lot like a steering wheel, sort of. So one of you can sort of have a steering wheel. You want to play hot rod? Hey, you guys, the new mame came out today. You want to play some emulated Konami handheld games? I think like there's a Castlevania LCD handheld that they're emulating. Now you guys want to, you guys want to where are you going? Come back. We're playing Firefox, the Laserdisc game with Clint Eastwood. You guys like Clint Eastwood, right? <laughs> so, I, yeah, we'll see how that all goes. Um, Black Friday came and went, of course. Cyber Monday. I, uh, the, it feels like, to, to me, the, it feels like the deals get worse every year. There was something in the back of my mind that was like, oh, well, maybe NVIDIA is saving a lot of stock for this shopping season, and maybe they'll have graphics cards back in stock for longer than two minutes. Um, it would appear that the, the answer to that was absolutely not. Um, I, yeah, there were some hard drive deals that looked okay. I don't, I don't know. Like, I just it's just a bunch, I don't, I don't mean to be like a fucking downer here, uh, but the deals were a bunch of shit, and, uh, they have been for a good long time, I bought, I bought energy drinks, I thought, like, oh, because that's, you know, they're like, we've got a Black Friday deal on cans of C4, and I looked at it, and I did the math on it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's about $2 a can. That's, that's a reasonable price to pay for energy drinks, and I need some. I'm running low, so um, why don't I go ahead and, and get some of that? Uh, but there's one piece of math I didn't do, and that's that it was for the small cans. It was for the fucking 12-ounce cans. So I paid $2 a can for small cans. I paid big can prices for small cans. And I got a variety pack of C4. But they're small bo- they're
1: small boys. These are not tall boys. Ugh. So I've got to double fist these things now. That's not entirely true. I don't have to. I choose to. <laughs> and I have to open them both so I can stick my fingers in and then, you know, stick it up my nose. Um, so that's
0: my, that's my shopping experience. I, for a minute there, I was like, Hey, what if I got some shoes? And I was like, I've got shoes on shoes on shoes. But when we moved down here a year plus ago, I must've, pa- I packed a gigantic box full of shoes, probably a 20, 20. 30 pairs, I don't know. I'm not like a Melda Marcos over here, but, you know, I got some fucking shoes. And I don't wear them. I have one pair of shoes that I currently have access to. Uh, it's a pair of Adidas NMDs, and they're comfortable, and they work, and they're fine. And I want to get a pair of slip-on Vans, or just like, uh, hey, I, I need a quick, uh, I just need to slip something on, some house shoes, some I'm-going-out-of-the-store shoes, whatever, some, some, I don't want to put on socks, shoes. And, uh, and so I'll probably get a pair of those at some point here, but I was looking at like, you know, like, Oh, 40% off these $200 pairs of
1: Adidas ultra boosts and all this stuff. And I was like, "Ah, nah, I just don't need them.
0: I just don't need them. I want a nice. Uh, I I want the cl- another and because I, because I, my the pair I have is ratty and I, I maybe threw them away when we moved um, or maybe I moved them. I don't know, but I just a standard black and white checkered pair of classic Vans. Nothing fancy. There is a van store nearby that I have not made it to yet, but I assume they will have them in stock. I don't know. Um, Apathetic friend in the the Twitch chat says, time for dad shoes, New Balance. No, I went through my New Balance era, like, I, I don't know, 15 years ago, something like that. We were wearing, we were rocking limited edition NBs. Fancy fucking white camo, dumb shit, New Balance. I bought a pair of New Balance that had like digital camo, they look sick. they You could have told me that they were Metal Gear shoes, and I would have been like, yeah, fuck yeah. And I bought them in Japan, and um, I still have them, and they I have uh, tried them on once, because Japanese shoes don't go up to size 13 American. They go up to size 12, but they were so sick looking that I was like, well... What if I buy these size small, one size small shoes anyway? I'm sure it'll work out because they just look so good. And they're they're only, you know, this this side, this style was only sold in Japan. All that other shit added up to me going like, yeah, fuck yeah, this is a good idea. Fuck no. <laughs> it's not a good idea. It's a bad idea. And so I tried them on once and went like, this doesn't work at all. So I have this basically unworn pair of... Uh, size 12, uh, size 12 New Balance shoes. Uh, it's not unlike when at E3, they were doing the weird like, scan the. If you're standing in the right spot in front of E3, then you can location based buy this pair of PlayStation Nikes. And I went through that process, and by the time I got through that process, the 13s were out of stock. I was like, well, I should get the 14s, which of course they don't fit. Um, so now I have like the, I mean, then those are super limited. I should fucking, I should see if I can trade those for a 4090 because those, (laughs) because those are both items that are sold on fucking stock X. So I should sell those shoes. I should sell those shoes. They don't fit. They're useless to me. I'm not going to like put them on a shelf and go look at the PlayStation shoes from E3. Hmm. So I should, I should go to the fucking Sell your shoes for too much money website and see if I can, um, and see what I can get for those size 14s. It's either a lot or a little, I bet, because like size 14, they probably didn't make a ton of them. So if you want size 14 in those shoes, I bet there's not that many. I don't know. I don't know anything about it. It's, it's <laughs> but I guess this is a long winded way of saying. I spent some time looking at what the markups were on 4090s, um, over the, uh, over the last, uh, 24 hours or so. And, uh, it's not good. I I see the captions. Someone just pointed out that the captions on the live feed are broken. That's fine. We'll just,
1: we'll just turn those off. I don't know why that's not working right now, but but here we are. Um...
0: They are marked up somewhere between $700 and $800 right now. That is the, the graphics card markup. Seems to be somewhere in that range. Uh, regardless of if it's, if it's a Founders Edition or whatever, the $2,000 Asus Edition or, or whatever. Uh, El Generico's Favorite Orphan on the Discord says, Contact Kenny Omega. The Bucks might want those PlayStation shoes.
1: Yeah, like the Bucks wear size 14s. Are those guys like 5'2"? Um So Yeah, anyway. It looks like it it looks like the
0: price of the graphics cards are st- are the 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 over mar- the markup is starting to like slowly trickle down. And I don't know if that means, I don't know if you can look at that and that means that like this market is eventually going to stabilize and eventually get back to normal. And I know that the PlayStation 5 markup is starting, has really started to fall apart. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe that'll still, maybe that'll be good things. Maybe, maybe that'll lead to, maybe that'll lead somewhere good. I don't know. Seems like all that stuff is getting slightly easier to find. Eventually the graphics card thing will stabilize, but it's like that graphics card is still, like people weren't mad at the markup price. People were like, hey, this thing is $1,600. And people were like, fuck that. <laughs> um, and uh, and and yeah, so I, I don't know. Eventually that market gets to a point where people, they run out of people that are willing to pay that type of extreme price for those graphics cards. And, um, you know, whatever happens, happens. I don't know. It's, uh, it's weird out there. It's, 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 it's it's bad out there. They're young, but they're not, they're probably not five, two, right? They don't, they look, they look short compared to actual tall wrestlers. You know, they they have that cruiserweight vibe to them, right? Um, anyway, that's, what's going around, going on around these parts. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know why I was looking. I don't know why I was looking. I don't even really... Like, why? I'm like, oh, well, what's the markup on these? And I was, and the, the sick thing is I was looking at it going like, oh, 700 bucks. That's not so bad. <laughs> In the grand scheme of things, that's not so bad. It could be a lot... That could be a lot worse. All right, word from Google is that the Young Bucks are around 5'10 and 5'11. Okay. I'm still going to say that they
1: probably don't take a size 14 shoe. But, uh, but, hey, what are you going to do? Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. Oh, yeah, also,
0: that's wrestling. That's yes, of course, that is wrestling height. Um, I was, I, you know, not to just, like, sidetrack and talk about wrestler height here, but, like, I remember... Like, the thing that shocked me size-wise when I went to interview some wrestlers in New York before WrestleMania, um it was whatever wrestlemania that i think uh john cena took the us belt off of big show i think is was what went down there but so i interviewed cena who was about as tall as you think he's going to be he was about as tall as i was or you know, maybe maybe slightly taller um which seemed about right to me um but the thing that i was I, when we, uh, we, you know, we interviewed Ray Mysterio, who, of course, Ray Mysterio was a small man. That's his whole thing. He's a small man. Uh, and it was Christian was the guy that I was very surprised because Christian on television, um, just looks like he is the same height as all the other guys. Generally, you know, he just looks like he's in like in that same range. But I was like, man, I'm, I'm significantly taller than Christian. That's weird. I would have not have guessed that. Um, because he carries himself, I, I think is a much bigger, like, I don't know. He just, yeah, he carries himself as a, as a larger wrestler than maybe he is. Not that I, I that's not me saying he's short. I mean, I, I'm six, three, well, more like six, two these days, but you know, I was six, three then. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I was surprised. I, I did not expect the, that, uh, the Christian would, would be. I I always just assumed the Christian would be right at my height, same height as like a John Cena, like like basically right there in that same basic range. Uh And then the one time I was backstage at WCW and um and walked past Hulk Hogan and I was like fucking flabbergasted by how how large that man was. It just didn't seem like again like Hulk Hogan you know because he's standing next to especially at that time he's standing next to a Kevin Nash he's standing standing next to a uh Paul White all of that sort of stuff you're like oh yeah Hulk Hogan he's a big guy but he's not like a big guy and then I walked past him was like fuck <laughs> that guy's like a head taller than I am um that was very surprising anyway sorry We're, uh let's take a break we'll get into these ads and we'll come back We'll talk about some video games
1: and, you know, whatever else is going on. Right? Right. What will you do when emergency strikes? What will you do
0: when your computer is gone? It's on fire. A hard drive is out of control. What, what will you do if a hard drive gets up and walks away? Disappears out of your computer completely. What will you do when that hard drive starts going click, 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 click? That's just fun making these noises. What will you do when those files are just completely smoked? Well, here's what I do Backblaze is what I do. For just $7 a month, Backblaze will back up your files. And I, I, there's, no, there's no, if you've got a, a Mac or a PC, that's it. It's unlimited. That's not like a per gigabyte that it's $7 a month per computer. And you don't have to think about it beyond that. If you expand on that machine later down the line, you're like, hey, uh, there sure were a lot of 20 terabyte drives uh, available for somewhat more reasonable prices over the last week or so. So maybe, hey, if you just said like, hey, F it, I'm going to put 40 more terabytes in this machine, Backblaze is like, yeah, that's cool. All right. Yeah, we'll back that up too. We can handle it. That's Backblaze. Uh, you just, you you install the software. Some light configuration is available if you choose, and that's it. It does the rest in the background. You don't have to think about it until there's a problem. And when there's a problem, you can log into their web app. You can download your files, get back up and running in no time. And if you've lost a lot of files, they will mail you a hard drive. They'll just send you a hard drive in the mail, the USB stick, you know, however, you know, whatever you're recovering. Um, You just get that in the mail, copy the files off, send the drive back to them, and that's it. You get a full refund for the drive. There's no, you know, there's no extra fees on top of all that stuff. Just $7 a month. That's right. And if you've got projects that you need a little bit more retention on, for an extra $2 a month, you can increase your retention history to one year. That's great if you're running a business, you know? It's like, you know, you got a business, you're like, oh, man, that project we were doing nine months ago, I got this thing. You know, hey, a little extra retention, boom. Backblaze, good for you on a personal level, good for you on a business level, all of that sort of stuff. And now you can get your hands on Backblaze with this free Fully featured, no credit card required trial by going to backblaze.com slash Jeff. Head on over there. Go to backblaze.com slash Jeff. Support the show, all of that stuff. And also, check out Backblaze. It is the sort of thing that I, I have, look, I have been computing since the 90s. I know a thing or two about yanking a hard drive out of a machine in pure disgust. And saying, man, that thing didn't even make it a year, or hey, that this this hard drive had a great run, and I, I'm surprised it made it this long. I've been on both ends of that spectrum for sure, but in both cases, the result is the same. The data is gone, and uh, I've lost a lot of data over the years, but now Backblaze just makes that stuff astonishingly easy. You install it you know you you tell it if there's things you don't want it to back up or you know you want to do different things like that some minor uh, little tweaks that you can have and it just does the rest and then again you just don't have to think about it until you need it and it's been great for that i have restored terabytes of data from there that's right i have i have it's a tons i have two machines um backing up to backblaze terabytes on terabytes on terabytes of data when Backblaze says uh, they've got nearly two exabytes of data storage under management and it is growing, chunk a chunk of that's mine, baby. That's right. Make a chunk of it yours and sleep soundly, knowing that if all of your hard drives just grow legs and walk out of the building or something like that, you've got options. You've got Backblaze. Go to Backblaze.com Jeff right now. Check out that fully featured trial. No credit card required right now. Backblaze.com slash Jeff. All right, we're back. Let's talk a little bit about some video games. Hmm, shall we? I have been playing a little bit of a game called Astlibra. Libra. Ask Libra Revision, I believe, is the full name. And um, it is on Steam. It is a Japanese-developed... Um, game. It is a side-scrolling. They bill it as an action RPG, but it is a side-scrolling um combat game. You know, you you are you are walking into town. You are walking out of town. You are cutting up slimes. I, I, the early parts of the game, you have a stick for a weapon. Um, and. I have not played a ton of it, but I want you to go look at it. It has a demo uh that, that uh that features the the first chunk of the game also i guess it has some some kind of late um, some late game combat in there as as part of that demo. I just decided to dive right in um and it's got a it has a look like a game it looks like a game that came out on the Super Nintendo, and this is the re-release update of that game that people are looking at and going like, man, I wish they would have done more with the graphics on this. Because, you know, like it's got a decent little look to it. Um, I'm trying to describe it. I keep wanting to say painterly, but that's not really, that's not really the style of uh, of Astlib- Astlibra. A-S-T-L-I-B-R-A. Is the is the name of the game. And it it's a it's interesting because like the the copy that they've written about it is like it takes you back to the golden age of JRPGs with side scrolling action, slashing, smashing, thrusting. And you're like, wait a minute, that's most of the golden age of our JRPGs did not involve side scrolling or action or slashing or any of that sort of stuff. So it's kind of a weird um it's a it's a weird thing, but yeah, uh, that's a, yes. Rec Roulette's got it right. It, it has kind of a vanilla ware esque sort of style to it, um, and you are beating the crap out of these first enemies, these slimes that you encounter. Like the you are doing, you're just smashing the button. You're smashing the attack button. It's not fancy, but it is it is making this combat look dramatic because it is you are getting a billion hits in on these slimes before they just explode into coins. Uh, you can hold up and do kind of an upward attack. So there's a little bit of a launchery jugglery kind of thing. Uh you do eventually get a shield and and when you hit down on the D pad, it will use, you know, you'll it'll it'll put the shield out there. You can do a shield bash, like a shield rush, really. Uh but the story is uh you are a boy, you meet a girl, uh demon attacks your town, you wake up in a cabin and there's a talking crow there and then you and the talking crow decide to try to find other humans uh and also 8 years have passed so 8 years later since the demon attacked uh of you being in this cabin in the middle of nowhere surrounded by nothing um you then decide to to get out and and go look and try to find um other other humans so um and then there's a big cave, and <laughs> they're like, uh, and I, I think the I think that is maybe the first big thing you do is to get in the cave and do stuff. I don't get the impression that the entire game takes place in you like going in the cave over and over again, but I can't say for sure because I'm still kind of still kind of getting into it myself. It's very materials focused, also. So like once you get out in the world, you are attacking trees, and then they are falling over, and you were getting materials. There are mining spots, so you want to have like you have to you have to craft torches in this game too. It's like a weird you know, and you're like you're you're finding the sticks, you're you need to go find like right now I'm on a quest to go find resin so that I can make my first torch so that I can go into the cave for the first time and it's a whole thing of backtracking around these areas and killing things over and over again and and all that sort of stuff. So my my early worry is that Astlibra might be a little grindy but uh it's got a good feel to it on the combat side, even out of the gate with just using a stick and a shield. Um, it, it has a, it, you, you can, you can really wail away on stuff and, and it feels nice. So, um, again, there is a, a, from the sounds of it, a pretty meaty demo out there for it on their steam page. The full name is asked Libra revision. That's A S T L I B R A. um, and I would say give it a look because it's it feels like one of those games that really kind of came out of nowhere. And when you launch it, it every every bit of its vibe is like, this is a this is a uh this game is a small game made by Japanese developers. Like you can right, right out of the gate, you're like, okay, yeah. Every the font work, everything about it, the way it's presented, all of that sort of stuff. Even when you do the um <laughs> even even when you start the game. It's like, hey, do you want to see the prologue? There's no action in and, and it's really long. <laughs> like they they're just like telling you up front like, "Hey, uh this thing goes for a bit. It's actually but the intro actually not that long in the grand scheme of things." So, um I would probably say uh say yes to that and so you can see the crow for yourself, all of that sort of stuff. Everyone's favorite, the crow. Rest in peace to Brandon Lee. Um yeah, uh, give that a look. The other thing I've tried out is Quake One, have you heard of this? Have you ever heard of Quake. Uh, ID Software uh, made a game called Quake, and um, then someone made a version called VK Quake RT that has full ray tracing in Quake One, and uh, and so I've been playing that a little bit, and it looks great. When they when you can really do full ray tracing, and I that's it's kind of why I'm interested in seeing what this next generation of graphics cards look like, just to see like hey, how you know, like what's the performance hit, all this other stuff. But like also like when we get there, developers will maybe start taking advantage of it in a full way. Um when you see full on ray tracing in an in an old game, because what's it's been like Quake Two. There's that Minecraft add-on, which is still. Have you have you tried to do ray tracing in Minecraft? It is still a weird, annoying thing. It's not like a graphics option, like it is in real video games. You just go like, yes, I would like ray tracing. Done. It's like, hey man, you got to download a texture pack. You got to go get the right texture pack that's got uh, PBRs in it. And you're Like yes, PBRs. Yes, professional bull rider, bull riding, professional bowling. Wait, paps ribbon. Wait, uh, what are we getting? And so you have to go find this optional downloadable texture pack, install it, and then it'll look right. And all of this sort of stuff. And it's really crummy. I thought that was going to be a crutch. I thought that was going to be some temporary thing for Minecraft. And then we're going to be like, all right, all right, all right. That was just the preview. Now here it is for real. Just turn it on and you're good, but it's not. (laughs) And that's stupid. Um, but yes, uh, the, the ray tracing packs and stuff for, for um, you know, the, the updated, the modern version of Minecraft, the, the Java Minecraft, you can kind of do software ray tracing or, or like kind of like f- fake it a little bit but it, and it still look, can look outstanding. But if you want to do the actual like RTX graphics card shit, you you are almost certainly using the modern, I guess, bedrock version of Minecraft which I kind of want to get back into. I don't know. Anyway, Quake 1 with ray tracing. Again, Again, it's called vkquake-rt. It's on GitHub. You download it. You install Quake from Steam. And uh, when you launch it, when you launch this other executable, it goes like, hey, your id1 folder isn't here. Do you want us to find it from a Steam folder? And you're like, yes. And it goes, all right, cool. We're good. And you are playing Quake with full ray tracing. And it looks very nice. I don't know you know it looks like Quake 1 whatever but like the it's stuff like the way that firing off the, the super nail gun or like a grenade from a grenade launcher the, the way it will light up a hallway and Quake is such a dark game and you forget that like there's a lot of water in Quake there's a lot of underwater scenarios and stuff where it's very dark down there and so fucking around with things that cause lights and all of that sort of stuff is uh, awesome And it looks fantastic. You're like, wow, this is really great. Like you see it and you're like, man, ray tracing is awesome. And then you go look at a game made in the last 12 months that has ray tracing on it. And you're like, yeah, I guess, I don't know. I guess, uh, yeah, there's more The puddles look nice. You know, whereas like in Quake 1, the portals, the teleporters shimmer and have, and have the contents of the portal on the other side of them and all this other stuff. Um, they just announced that Portal, they, they, this is something I think when they announced the 4090, they said, we're going to remake Portal with ray tracing. They did just announce this morning, uh, that that is going to be coming out on December 8th. Um, and I'll be interested in seeing how that looks. Um, with my 3090, my piddly ass graphics card, this 3090, God, ugh, throw it in the Bammers, what I say now, um, but. It, it's, uh, it's that sort of stuff, and, and, and that's the disconnect, right? Is when you see these older games with more simple graphics where they can just ray-trace the shit out of it and the performance hit doesn't matter, then you go like, dang, this, is, this seems like kind of a big deal. like when, when it's working as intended and it's this full-fledged, fully realized, ray-traced lighting model, it looks great. You're like, this is incredible. It's crazy that this works. This is so awesome. And then you go load up watchdogs. And it's like, oh, yeah, you can have... Uh, yeah, if you want to... I mean, if you want to see, like, really good reflections in the puzzles, we can give you those. It's going to cost you, like, 35 frames per second, if you're cool
1: with that. Eh. um, And... Yeah, it, it just, uh, we're not there yet. And so, I don't know, like, I, I guess
0: I, it's the sort of thing that when you see Quake 1 and when you see, and even Quake 2 did this to a certain point, but you, you see those, those old games, you understand the promise of it. You understand that, like, when games get here, when, when, or when the tech gets good enough to actually support this full-fledged, fully path-whatevered lighting model, all this sort of stuff, it's going to be some shit. It's going to be really cool. But, like, I don't even know, like, well, even if the 4090 is capable of doing that in a, in a big way in a modern game, let's assume, I don't think it actually is the case, but let's assume, developers just aren't really doing that, right? They just aren't, um, because not enough people have the hardware to take advantage of it. It's probably not worth their time to fully devote themselves to the ray tracing life. And so they don't. And so it becomes like, yeah, I don't know, turn this on and uh, you'll get a performance hit. But boy, these puddles. Boy, these puddles. But seeing Quake 1, you go like, man, when when this all finally lines up someday, A, it'll be way too expensive for anyone for a good long time. But when this finally actually gets to
1: where it's going, it should look pretty cool, hopefully. Yeah, well, well, yeah. Will, will DLSS three make it
0: easier enough to to do it in more games? The the other stuff they're doing to make it a little more automated for, or a little bit easier for people to make mods that add ray tracing to games like this this Portal thing, whatever they're calling it. The stuff that Lightspeed Studios is doing, um, you know, maybe that'll be cool. I mean, that'll probably be cool, but will that be cool enough? I don't know. These are the sorts of things that drive me to want to get a 4090 because there there is a part of me and this is not me saying like everyone should go get one of these it is just me saying like i have a sickness and also this is my job and also it i feel like i should be able to speak to this a little bit better um and i should know where that card kind of sits performance wise and, and
1: all of that sort of stuff um and it's a tax write off so you know that's that's me saying don't
0: I also think that the graphics cards are too expensive. But there is a part of me that is just like, well, if I get it before the end of the calendar year, it's a tax write-off for this year, blah 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 blah. blah. But I I don't know. Um we'll see how that all, that all shakes out, but that's it's a it's a good reminder that like ray tracing is really neat. But games aren't really taking advantage of it enough yet. And, you know, we'll probably head further and further in that direction over the next handful of years, but... Will we get to a point where people feel like it's a must-have feature? Like, that's the thing, right? Is is it doesn't, you know, there are other ways to do your lighting, other ways to bake your lighting, all that sort of stuff, whatever. uh, that, That still looks fantastic! Turns out. And so when will that be a situation where people go like, well, I've got to get a card that can handle ray tracing when like, I I can't, you know, like when the voodoo two came out and it could do colored lighting, it was clear. You needed to have a voodoo two card because you're like, I need that colored lighting and I need it immediately because quake two is here and quake two has colored lighting and we need that. We need all of that right now. And so I went out dutifully and purchased a Voodoo 2 as soon as I was able to around the launch of the Voodoo 2. I yanked my Voodoo 1 out of my machine and said, Blah! Down in the dirt! You piece of garbage! And I got that Voodoo 2 and I put it in there and the lighting was colored and it was glorious. And it felt like it was worth every single penny. <laughs> I don't know that any there's anything... On, I don't know that there's anything that you can do with a 4090 right now that has that same, like, that same feel to it, right? The ray tracing is better, and it can do AV1 encoding, which not a lot of things support yet. And you're like, that's all cool. Those are great features for, yeah, that all makes sense. But it's not like... Oh, I've got to get these cards. You know, there's, there's nothing like that. So, I don't know. Then the Voodoo 3 felt like kind of a farce. I don't know. Just like, I don't know. The, That Voodoo 2, though, that was a sweet spot. That was, that was a moment in time right there. Boy. I remember getting that thing. It's, you know, the Voodoo 1 was awesome. Like, getting getting a Voodoo card and, and all that other stuff and hooking it up to my, you know, my, what, my Diamond Viper Vesa Local Bus you know, my 2D graphics card. I had my 2D graphics card and then my 3D graphics card. And much like a Sega CD, you had to run the video from one to the other and then out to the monitor. <laughs> uh, which is ridiculous. Um, and then at some point, someone came out with a card that was both 2D and 3D in one card. And you're like, that's... That's against God's way <laughs> that, that can't work. And sure enough, I think a lot of those early combo cards, I want to say that the 2d, because that was a, a time when 2d acceleration mattered and all that other stuff, they were really shitty at the 2d side of things. And so it was like, oh yeah, you can get this combo card, but like, you can only run, um, in like what, like 16 bit or, you know, like 12 like bit, eight bit color on your desktop like your desktop is going to look worse and run worse because this, this 2d side of this card is garbage. Um, that's how I remember it going down. I remember clinging to my 2d card that base, local bus, that hot card. And in my, in my 486 DX 4 100 and going like, no, we don't, we are not going to get a combo card. We are going to keep buying 3d add on cards because that is the way in the light. And anyway, um, Are things better now? Yeah, probably. Because we don't think about things like 2D acceleration and all of that sort of stuff. It's just understood to work as well as you need it to, you know, pretty much all the time. Um, And the 3D cards, I don't know. No one can buy them anymore. So they're, they're, they're theoretical at best, unless you want to give someone $800 more than you're supposed to. And
1: then you could have one by the end of the week. What if I had one by the? No, no. What? No, no.
0: Absolutely not. Um, and then honestly, other than that, I uh, you know I, I've been fooling around with the little bits and pieces of games here and there. Um, I have hit the second prestige on Call of Duty. I am now. That means I am over level one hundred, and um, I have hit. Uh, I have a lot of gold. Camos for my guns, and um I am r- still really enjoying that game. I had a sixth place finish in Warzone last night. That was a heartbreaker because I was geared up so well. I was like, I could win this one. Um, and when I won, I won my I won a Warzone match on the first night the game was out, but the stats were not there yet. There was there was something broken with progression or something like that. And so now it it is not registered that I have won a match and that makes me very sad. But, uh, yeah, I'm having a a great time with that game. Still, It, it it is still a ton of fun. They're doing a bunch of dumb stuff where I have to predict the, um, the outcome of soccer games to win stuff. I don't, Uh, They're still doing that. I I had to look up the betting line on like, what was it? it? Tunisia versus France.
1: And just go like, I don't know. I guess I guess I'll pick France on this one. That's what the betting line seems to indicate. And
0: then I think there's one more game that, that you have to you have to predict. But uh, if you get four predictions right, you get a... There, there's, if you get two predictions right, there's one gun you get. If you get four predictions right, there's another one you get. I don't know. It's dumb. And then they're selling skins for soccer players. You can play as soccer players. We talked about this already. But, uh... The... What? Uh... Ne- Neymar Jr.? Which is a... He's a soccer... Man? Um yeah uh, his his skin comes with a couple of of really good gun uh blueprints and uh yeah that's i i've been i've been having a ton of fun with that it's still really good and and like i said i i have hit the second prestige which is crazy i know they they made it way faster uh they they made the leveling curve they they pinballed it out a little bit they're like no we want people we want normal people to be able to to hit the level cap, we want normal people to be able to get gold camos and and do all this sort of stuff. And and so they've made a lot of stuff more attainable than it was before. So I don't really feel like it's a one to one comparison to older Call of Duty games when people say, Oh, I had prestige, I did this, I did that. Like it definitely seems like they have made the leveling curve a lot easier in Call of Duty this year. And uh and yeah, made that stuff way more attainable. And hitting, you know, second prestige, which is something I don't think I have ever done. Um, no, you know what? I probably prestige twice, if not three times, in in the original Modern Warfare 2. If not Call of Duty 4. But um, actually, it probably was Call of Duty 4. I think the, the one I played the most of is the one that I played when I was unemployed. Um, which would have been late 07, early 08, so that'd, that'd be Call of Duty 4, not, not the original
1: Modern Warfare uh, 2. So, anyway. I, yeah, I, I don't have much new to
0: say about it. The DMZ mode is fascinating. There are a lot of weird bugs in that game and exploits, and so it's just a lot of stuff where there's people who are like, okay, here's what you do. You go in your inventory, you get some cash, you drop it next to a gun and then you look away from the cash and look at the gun, but the cash is still kind of in the way. And when you pick up that gun, you're going to suddenly have a million dollars in cash on you. Then you go find a dead drop site. Okay. You take your cash over to the dead drop site. This is, they, they fixed all the other exploits. You go to this dead drop site, you deposit cash in the dead drop site. And every time you do You'll get a thousand XP, but you've got a million dollars. So you can do it over and over again and just grind this XP out, and you can level all your guns in five minutes or less. And it's just like there's so there's been so many different ones of those. And then there's a problem in Warzone where if someone can make the boats fly. And so you see images of, I have not seen encountered this in game, but I've seen a video of flying boats, which is fun. And then another situation where people are somehow able to jump great distances and like basically like confer, like do the jump and the dive in such a way that it looks like they are doing the worm at a super high speed across the map in a way that you just look at and go like, that seems wrong it seems like something they should maybe fix (laughs) um along with the flying boats so uh yeah i i i don't know but that game's super fun i don't know like yeah it's got some funky shit in it but that's almost more fun in a weird way because it just seems like there's there's lore forming around although not not lore but there's like there's so much, fat. Like, did you hear about this? Like anything seems possible right now because the game is, is in a slightly weird state where once you see a flying boat, all other bets are off because people are like, did you hear that you can do this? And then when you jump out of the airplane, you can get into this and okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to load a bunch of claymores onto this uh, recon drone and then we're going to fly it up here and do that. And, and just like that, there's just a bunch of weird tech and people are just doing a bunch of insane shit and it's super fun. All right, we're going to take uh, another break here before we get into the news.
1: So uh, so stay tuned, and we will be right back. Wait, where am I going?
2: It feels
0: like there's a billion different books out there that are trying to teach you a little something. You know, the, the type, the kind of nonfiction, whether it's like self-help or like secrets of the business elite and all these sorts of things that you're like, you know... I bet I could glean something from this, but I do not have time to read this entire book. Or, hey, I want to know up front if this thing's going to be worth my time. Another solid situation that I think we've all found ourselves in at one time or another. Well, hey, how about Blinkist? Blinkist is the app that allows you to understand the most important things from over 5,500 nonfiction books and podcasts. In just 15 minutes. So with Blinkist. You can you know. Broaden your horizons. You can have uh, you know. New perspectives kind of put in front of you. From a variety of content. They've got 27 different categories. And it's bite sized and audio first. 15 minutes is all it takes. To get powerful insights into different topics. And it fits your lifestyle. It's a great little audio experience. You know you can fit a little uh, education entertainment. Edutainment into your everyday life. And all of that stuff. So you know, that's uh, that's the power. That's the power of Blinkist. Uh, Reggie Fizames books on there. You know, there's just a, a wide variety. You know, the the Marie Kondo with the hey, here's how to clean up your stuff the right way. All of these sorts of things are solid. Th- you know, like solid ideas to get in front of you. But honestly, I you know, I'm rarely going to have the time at this point with young kids and, and all of this other stuff to just kind of sit down and just like sight unseen, read a book, no recommendations, all that other stuff. And I, you know, there's not a lot of people I talk to that are, that are into this sort of stuff or anything like that. So it's not, not like I'm getting personal recommendations uh, for full books, but Blinkist will recommend you some. You can also share Blinks with other people. You have a, a premium membership uh, that you can use Blinkist Connect to share that account and have get two premium subscriptions for the price of one, which is pretty cool. And, uh, and you know, you can share little bits and pieces of what you're finding out there. Personal growth, baby. That's what it's all about. Whether you're trying to figure out, like, hey, I'm, I'm just trying to do some personal growth. I'm trying to uh, learn better reading skills. Why not start with some audio before you get into the whole reading thing? It's You can do it. You know uh, the seven days to podcast pro. This you know, you wanna do you, you wanna podcast like a professional? Listen. Now there's Blinkist. It's an app. You install it, you get served you get to get to look at all of these different books that, that they have broken down into their core tenets and principles, and then experiencing them you know those key points in like fifteen minutes. That's a hot way to get information fast. And right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for you. Go to Blinkist.com slash Jeff G to start your seven-day free trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist. That's spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Jeff G to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. That's right. Blinkist.com slash Jeff G. And for a limited time, You can even use that Blinkist Connect, share that premium
1: account, two premium subscriptions for the price of one. Dang, that's a deal. Okay, we're, okay, we're back. Okay, we're back. Are we back? We
0: are back. Whoa. My voice in my headphones. Ringing in a weird way is a weird effect. The disco ball fell on the ground. So we, anyway, uh, hi. Let's talk about the news, but first... Super Mario Brothers. It's not just for breakfast anymore. They're making a movie. And they're going to show a trailer uh today. <laughs> uh, I guess at 2 p.m. they're going to have another uh, little live stream where they show a new trailer for the film. This is the animated
1: movie uh, starring uh, Christopher Pratt, who is an actor. And um, yeah,
0: a bunch of stuff is leaked out, some promotional images, some other stuff like that uh, around the the film showing like a Super Mario Brothers plumber's van, which is kind of cool. And um, there's word going around claiming that it's going to be around 100 minutes long. And I am going to say uh, that I have, been, uh, I have been shown some internal data from, from the movie side of things that seems to indicate that the movie is actually 86 minutes long. And uh, also along with that came the information. So the movie's out April 7th. And, uh, I also, along with that is that the, it sounds like that the streaming date, the digital purchase date, uh, appears to be May 11th. According to this, In according to this data, this is all subject to change. It's all tentative, of course. Right. Uh, but, but currently what they are listing internally is, is a May 11th date for streaming and digital purchases and that airlines will get the movie on July 1st. So if you're flying in July of next year, perhaps you might be able to see the Super Mario Brothers
1: movie that way. Um, and yeah, I, um, 86 minutes sounds
0: about right for a Super Mario Brothers movie, for a kid's animated film, like that right around that 90 minute mark, 100 minutes, not that far off, but 86 seems like just a, yeah, let's crank as many, uh, let's, let's crank as many showings as we can every single day. Let's get kids through here. Boom, 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 boom. Um, but we'll see, we'll see where it ends up coming in. But that, that, that seems like, yeah, I don't know that 90 minute mark feels like that's, you know, Hey, if you're making comedies, if you're making kids movies, uh, like that, that's, that seems like maybe where you end up sliding your your runtime in or in around that whole
1: thing. At least that's, yeah, that's how it was in the 90s for sure. Um, I, that
0: last trailer, I, I you know, I, I, they're going to put out this other trailer. Who knows? I don't know. But the, 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 that last trailer looked fine. You just listen to it, you listen to the dude's voice, and you're like, yeah, no, that's just Chris Pratt talking. That's funny. Um, it's just Chris Pratt doing an accent. All the build-up, all the hype for his supposed voice. And then you hear it. Mushroom kingdom, here we come. And you're like, yeah, okay. Sure. Sure, why
1: not? Why not? Um. And... I
0: bet that movie will be absolutely fine. I, I, here's, here's my bet though. I bet that movie is not going to be as well received as the Sonic the Hedgehog film was. That's my, that's my guess is that people will come away from this going like, yeah, it was fine, whatever. Um, you know, Sonic was a cooler movie. I, I, like, I just, I, I, Something about this just I think kids will i think kids will gravitate towards Sonic and his edgy attitude a little bit more than whatever is gonna end up in this thing. This thing seems like it'll end up being just like i don't know I'm guessing at this point, but it just seems like it's it's a it's saccharine i don't you know like 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 just way more of a kid's movie and way more of of just kind of. Blech. that's the vibe I get off it, is like, if it, like, I, I just, I bet by, by, by qualitative metrics, I bet people will go like, yes, Sonic was a better thing. Money-wise, you know, that's a whole different thing. The popularity of the franchise, the marketing muscle, all that sort of stuff, like maybe Mario ends up raking in more money overall. Because it's fricking Mario. But, yeah, I don't know. That that's my guess is that it will it will come in under Sonic the Hedgehog in, in by some metrics. Because yeah, yeah, as Pocket Bacon says, Mario as a character is boring. He's just a fucking guy. Like you can map whatever onto him and that's cool for video games because you're like, I don't know, he's now he's playing fucking golf. What's he doing now? He's driving a car. What's he doing now? Playing 70 of the worst mini games you've ever seen in your life. Like, oh, "Okay, what's he doing now?" He's a referee in a boxing match. Like what? That guy. That guy can do anything. Sonic the Hedgehog. For as much as those games are fucking garbage. The character has attitude. He's attitudinal. Also yes. Furries. Very hot right now. Kids love furries. The kids love to yiff. Don't you watch the news about the litter boxes? (laughs) Of course Sonic is going to be bigger. Oh fuck me. The world is fucking so dumb. The world is so impossibly dumb. I I can't, I can't, I can't. All right. Um, Speaking of adaptations, uh, this one, it sounds way more interesting to me. Um, Splinter Cell is being turned into a BBC radio drama, according to uh, videogameschronicle.com. BBC Radio 4 is going to start airing episodes of the series next week.
1: Like, what? Where did this come from? What the fuck is happening? Sam Fisher up on the radio.
0: Sam Fisher on Radio 1. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Sam Fisher's going to be playing the hottest funk records, the hottest funk and jazz records. Sam Fisher getting out of If it moves, funk it. Um... Let's see, here. it's an eight-part series that will start on December 2nd. It will broadcast on Fridays from December 2nd at 2:15 p.m. What kind of thing, I don't like I'm still amazed that radio dramas still exist in any way shape and form. Um and uh so this is all weird to me, but yes, I don't I don't know what else airs on BBC Radio 4 if it's all just talk radio or whatever. But anyway, There's going to be an eight-part series that is a radio drama that is a Splinter Cell story. And it will, let's see. According to the synopsis from Video Games Chronicle here, it says, um, When a lethal assassin from Fisher's past returns from the dead on a mission of murder, he is thrust into a race against time as a sinister threat to global security is revealed. And uh, yes, this will follow the fourth echelon agent, Sam Fisher, on a new mission, recruiting and training the next generation of Splinter Cell operatives for the NSA's Covert Action Division.
1: Covert Action Division. This is really good. It's our Covert Sim Strategy Division. Our Covert No NoHesi Server Division. Um,
0: Sam Fisher is being played by someone named Andonis Anthony who is in something called the archers and also his daughter, Sarah will be in there. It says the, the, the VGC story says the role of his daughter, Sarah, who teams
1: up with her dad is played by actor Daisy head. And uh, they've got some other names here. Um,
0: including Will Poulter, who was in the maze runner and we're the millers who gave a statement. I really hope fans of the splinter cell game. Enjoy this as not only does it have all the action, tension and excitement, that the game is famous for, but it also has more elements. There's a lot of comedy. The drama is expanded and horizons broadened by the characters and what they get up to. It is taking the best of Splinter
1: Cell and building on that to make something really well-rounded. That seems weird. Um... And I guess, uh, let's see. It Also, it says here, all episodes will go live as a box set
0: on BBC Sounds in the Limelight podcast feed on December 2nd. So it sounds like they'll air them on Fridays, but they're also just going to dump them all out there on the second, which is soon. That's like this week. Um, I don't know. I, it's been so long since there's been anything at all related to Splinter Cell, right? And now, yeah, there's the animated series thing that it, it was announced at least. And Ubisoft has at least confirmed that they were working on some kind of remake or something like that. But it's been a while since we've heard anything there. And so any kind of movement on the franchise is at least interesting, but, um, I don't know the idea of a story of Sam Fisher trying to train the next generation like that. Yeah, sure. That's okay. I guess at this point, Sam Fisher has been around a long time, but like, if you're just going to reboot it, reboot it. Like, there's no reason to not call him Sam Fisher. There's no reason to go like, now you've got to play as Sam Fisher's daughter. Or now you've got to play as this cast of characters that we, you know, like, I guess, I don't know. I guess we'll see if this ends up having anything to do with the future of the games. Also, I think that's a, that's a potential weird twist, right? Is like, is this going to end up, you know, will any of this voice cast factor into that new game? Or or anything like that, or is this just purely a one-off thing that they licensed and did, and and why, <laughs> why why did someone go ah yes, Splinter Cell? You know what we need to do? That's right, an eight-part radio drama over here at BBC Radio Four. It's just weird. I don't know, but that's cool. I I I, I will at least I will try to seek out. This is is this one of those VPN type deals where it's like. Oh yeah, you can load up the iPlayer, but unless unless the BBC thinks you're in the UK, uh, you can't actually listen to it or watch it or do anything with it. Am I gonna have to? Am I gonna have to be a spy of my own and route my traffic in in such a way that it uh, that it allows me to listen to it? We will see. But like I I. My reaction to this is, yes, I will listen to this at least the, I will listen to at least part of the first episode and see what's up with that. I want to know what a splinter cell radio play sounds
1: like. I mean, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was good, right? So why wouldn't this, why wouldn't this be? what else in Australia they are uh they have introduced a bill to parliament
0: that would ban loot box mechanics in games for children or or I guess actually things that are not for adults um this is according to kotaku.com Federal politician Andrew Wilkie, an independent, introduced the bill into parliament yesterday. He proposes that loot box mechanics, where players use actual money to buy random in-game items, prey upon the same impulses as gambling does, and so on and so forth. He suggests that any game with loot boxes should not only be restricted to those over the age of 18, which is the legal gambling age in Australia, but should also carry warning labels specifying the reason for the rating as well. Um... Yeah, that seems like it makes sense. They've got a a quote here from part of the bill here on Kotaku. Um, This bill remedies this by requiring the classification board to consider loot boxes when classifying game. Further, the board must set a minimum classification of R18+, or RC, which is refused classification, the thing that Australia uses to ban games as they have done with such hits as Mark Echo's getting up contents under pressure uh Which will restrict children from purchasing and playing these games, the amendments also require a warning to be displayed when games contain loot boxes or similar features so that they can easily be easily identified by parents and guardians yeah i I think this is the the this is probably we've we've reached a, a tipping point with this, I think, where that just seems like um it's getting to be something of a no brainer right. Like what's I don't see any downside to this, um, unless you're the video game industry. In which case they're like, but we like to but mm uh, uh mm. But I think we've you know, the video game industry has been given quite a long time. It's been years since Battlefront two, and obviously this conversation started before that, but like remember Battlefront two and, and Need for Speed that year. Don't forget, Need for Speed that same year was in some ways worse than Star Wars Battlefront 2 was when it comes to loot boxes and uh, getting gear for money and, and all of that sort of stuff. And I think that the video game industry has been given a good long time to clean up its act and we've seen uh, a large transition away from this stuff in many games over to battle passes and things of that nature where instead of just here's a random blind box and who knows what you're going to get, it very clearly becomes like if you play to this point you will get this if you play to this point you will get this and i think that that is a much more acceptable path you can say you don't like that type of content but at some point you're just saying you don't like add on you don't like paid add on content for games uh and at that point i would say that ship has sailed like that's modern games they will add content into games they will ask you for some money for some of those things And, um, it is up to individuals to decide whether they want that content or not. Just like they can, you know, they can sell it or not sell it just like they sold expansions to Warcraft back in the day, except in this case, the expansion is a hat. Um, but when you get into random elements, when you turn it into something that more closely resembles gambling, obviously that is a very different thing. I think that the, you know, when they started, I think it was when I saw the, what are they even called? There's a breakfast cereal. We bought a box of it. My daughter hated it. It was like the LOL surprise. It was like, basically you're buying a blind box toy and you don't know what you're going to get. And some of them are super rare. And you're like, fuck you. Um, when, they, when I started seeing more of those in real life, it just seemed gross. Gross but obviously, this stuff has roots back in packs of baseball cards and all of that sort of stuff um but yes, seeing this stuff work its way into games and seeing some players go like oh yes i've I have spent thousands of quid on FIFA ultimate team
1: packs gov um it's fucked it's fucked it shouldn't that probably shouldn't be a thing. And, um,
0: or, or rather, I guess what my actual thought is that can be a thing, but I don't think kids should be allowed to get anywhere near a game that chooses to include that sort of stuff to that degree, whether it's your Diablo immortals or your FIFA ultimate teams or your Madden Ultimate Teams or your UFC Ultimate Teams or um you know the way Overwatch did it back in the day with uh with their their boxes and stuff like that um yes Genshin Impact paying for pulls all of that sort of stuff like the the Gotcha game stuff there's that stuff I feel like totally can exist why not like yes but we probably need to be better about keeping kids away from it and to have better controls for people who, you know, there are people out there who are just actual, uh, actually addicted to gambling, actual clinical problem, you know, and uh, this stuff can prey upon them in a pretty serious way. And it's, it's one thing to say, hey, we need to make sure that this stuff is not getting into the hands of kids. I agree. That's the right way to do it but also some kind of like, whether that's a system level platform level, whatever it is, like finding ways to say, you know, we're putting daily limits on how much you can purchase. We're putting, you know, things in place like speed bumps that prevent people from just like feeding their credit card into the thing over and over again until they get their, uh, five-star anime lady, um, or, or whatever. Like people need to be able to enact those limits. People who go like, are able to recognize, yes, I have a problem, and so I have turned on these limits for a reason on this account to ensure that I don't go beyond them, and um, and that sort of stuff, like finding finding ways to better support people like that, but also again um, protecting kids from. I think even interacting with those games in the first place is maybe the the thing because like it, it's it's. It's not enough to say like, oh, kids can't buy these without their parents' permission. I think it's more of a, maybe we need to not be showing kids that this is a thing. Maybe we need to be putting in in, in something in in a place where it's like, okay, these are going to be in games that kids don't even really see so that they don't understand that that exists and so that they don't get that mentality burned into them at a young age. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is here. I I want, uh, obviously there are going to be people who want to, um, engage with those sorts of systems. And I think they should be allowed to, if they want, you know, I don't think it's something that has to unequivocally come out of every single video game in the world and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but it's a situation where it's like those sorts of random loot boxes just need to come out of games. And, And in a lot of games they have, right? I mean, as this stuff picked up Steam the last time people got really mad about it, a lot of games got their shit together and they're like, well, got their shit together and said, let's find a different way to get money out of people. And now we see battle passes in every game and stuff like that. I, Generally speaking, I think the battle pass is an acceptable route for this stuff. It does create that whole fear of missing out. It does create a situation where you see Exactly what you could be getting if you paid the $10 for the battle pass or whatever, and creates that situation of like, oh man, I got a, um, my friends all got the battle pass and now I need to, too. like, you know, the, the peer pressure aspect of it that kids can get into. I think that there are aspects of that that are not great, but it at least shows you everything, right? It's like, here's, here's what you're buying into. And in cases where a battle pass expires, like, here's how much time you have left to interact with this system before it is replaced with a new one. I like that Halo Infinite is doing a, situ- a, a a setup where, like, those battle passes don't expire. So you have an infinite amount of time to work on said battle pass if you so desire. I think that's the right way to do it. I think having... Especially because I think there are so many games doing it now, right? There are so many different battle passes out there that if you're, you know, you can only play so many of those games at a time. This happened to me with Rumbleverse, where I bought the the Rumbleverse battle pass and played quite a bit of it. And when I first started playing, I was like, man, I, I could, I could see myself maxing out this battle pass. I could see, I could see it happening. And then a bunch of other games come out, and I got, I got busy with other stuff, and you know, then suddenly you're like, oh, it's the last week of the season and i need another 60 levels, 50 levels, whatever, 40 levels on this battle pass. I'm like, i mm, I just don't think that's going to happen, and that's lost to the wind now. I think limited time items I think digital basically, i guess i'll say, i think digital scarcity um sucks because it is completely fake. It is completely manufactured it's not a situation where it's like, oh, we can only manufacture so many. You know, it's not like, ah, oh, I can only make so many of these graphics cards. The factories, we only have so many of them. You understand when something like that happens. I think physical scarcity, like, like, like manipulated forced scarcity of limited edition items, is also a problem. Um, When it comes to just, like, the the way that shoes are sold, the way limited edition shoes... We talked earlier about me having to stand in a specific spot to try to buy a fucking pair of shoes. That's dumb. Let anyone who wants the shoes buy them. Period. If you want to make the initial run a bit of a pre-order, kind of like, if you're there fast, you get the first run, fine, and then everyone else gets in the second wave, hey, Okay but I think the way that shoes are handled, I think the way that Nike and Adidas bo- both have their own separate apps for manipulating people into like, oh, the, the drop's happening here, and if you're in Chicago, you can get this shoe, and if you're here, you can get this. It's just fucking gross. And then when you take those levers and those manipulative setups
1: and apply them to digital items that can be produced in perpetuity, infinitely, at that
0: point, you're just deliberately being a scumbag. You might be able to tell me. You might be able to convince me like, hey, man, these shoes are hard to make. We only made this many of them. And I'll be like, that's bullshit. But hey, I respect you trying to lie to me. But when you say, oh, yeah, man, if you want this fucking T-shirt for your Call of Duty, man, or if you want this uh, you know, this hat for your Dota lady, you better act fast. Because, uh, it's only here for another nine days. Or we're only making 5,000
1: of them. Go fuck yourself. The supplies are not limited. Operators are not standing by. And it absolutely sucks. Trying to do this sort of stuff. Um... You know, I I feel like there are probably some exceptions to that around like, Hey, um,
0: we did a deal. We did a marketing deal for a movie and they are restrictive with their license in such a way that we can, you know, the same way cars licenses and games expire and stuff like that. Like, I think it makes sense that like, Hey, maybe in five years you can't buy the fucking Neymar, you know, whatever the soccer guys skins for call of duty. Maybe those are things that expire. But I bet they'll expire in ninety days or less, right? That's probably like a hey, the World Cup's over, and now those skins are going away. You
1: should buy them now, like all that sort of stuff, right? I don't know. It's um, yeah, the limited edition digital stuff. I think is really
0: it's it's just nefarious. It's it's like really trying to pull levers that don't need to be there, and um, and really trying to manipulate people, which.
1: In conclusion, capitalism. Speaking of which, let's take another break. And we'll come back and talk a little bit about some more news about it, huh? See you in a minute. Hang on. get the impression that shaving is just one big racket? I mean, no matter
0: which way you turn, it's like, okay, here's these plastic handles with 9,000 blades on them for, I don't know, what, 15 bucks or something for, what, two of them, four of them. Uh, or over here, you've got a subscription service that wants to send you razors and blades, whether you need them or not, for the rest of your living days. Uh, it's just... You know, you got electric shavers that don't really quite do the job as close as you would like. And it's just, you know, it's a hassle. Shaving. Just the process of getting the gear together and not getting ripped off in the process or having to wait at the supermarket going like, well, they decided to put these blades behind glass and now I've got to push this button and wait for someone to walk over here and open up the razors so they can sell me to them because they keep getting stolen Ugh. It's, uh, there's got to be a better way, as they say. And guess what? There is. It's Henson Shaving. Henson Shaving uses regular razor blades that you can get for a very low cost. And they make a space-age, very fancy, very useful handle that holds those razors in super tight, to make sure you get a super tight, super clean, super close shave. Henson Shaving is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that has made parts for the International Space Station and the Mars Rover. And now they're bringing that precision engineering to your face. Your face. They got these aerospace-grade CNC machines to make these metal razors just, just extend this is uh, this is a very small number. inches beyond the handle that locks that blade in tight. So it doesn't wobble around. It doesn't result in nicks and cuts and scrapes, all of that sort of stuff. Just lock it in there for a locked in, clean, close shave. And since trying to build the best razor, not the best razor business, that means, you know, there's no plastic in it. There's no subscription services. The blades aren't even proprietary That means like, you know, if you want to replace the blade, it's like three to $5 a year to replace the blades using standard dual edged blades. So it gives you that old school shave with the benefits of new school technology, you know, and that stuff comes together to result in a, you know, cheaper over the course of, you know, years of, of buying blades and buying these stupid plastic handles and all this other stuff. Like, no, just get standard dual edged blades, put them in your Henson shaving handle. And go to town. You can even shave more often if you want to. At these prices, you'd be crazy not to shave more frequently. It's time to say no to subscriptions and say yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. Visit HensonShaving.com Jeff to pick out the razor for you and use the code Jeff to get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure that you put those blades in your cart. You know, it's like to use the offer code, but also put the blades in the cart. The blades will ring up as free, all that other stuff. That's 100 free blades when you head to h e n s o n s h a v i n g dot com slash jeff and use the code jeff. Shaving. You may have been hearing some folks say that winter is coming, but let me tell you, winter is here. You know what that means? It's cold. And it's hard to find the right temperature when it's time to sleep. So why not do what the spacemen do? That's right, NASA. Yeah, yeah, that NASA. And stay at the perfect temperature all night long using silver-infused bed sheets from Miracle Brand. These were inspired... By the technology that NASA uses to, you know, to regulate temperature and all of that sort of stuff. These self-cooling properties make for a better quality sleep. That silver-infused fabric, which again, originally developed by NASA, means the sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get better sleep every night. That silver also helps eliminate bacterial growth, 99.9% of said growth, in fact, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. So that means no more gross odors. You can wash them a little less frequently. So, you know, that's saving time. That's uh, saving water, all that sort of stuff. That's nice too. But hey, they're also luxuriously comfortable. And they don't have the high price tag of other luxury brands. That makes them, as we look at the calendar, a perfect holiday gift for your spouse, friends, or family who doesn't want better sleep and luxurious feeling bedsheets. And, and, these come with three free towels. That's two gifts in one. That's right. It's all better for your skin, too. Stop sleeping on bacteria. The sheets stay cleaner longer, which means less gunk on the sheets, and the gunk doesn't get on your skin. We don't need more gunk on our skin. Every Lord knows I've got more than enough gunk on my skin as it is. Go to TryMiracle.com slash Jeff to try it today or gift it to someone special this holiday season. Here's a special for you. Save over 40% off. And use that promo code Jeff at checkout to save even more and get three free towels. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, you will get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle brand. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff and use the code Jeff to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off again That's TryMiracle.com slash Jeff to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. And thanks to Miracle Brand for sponsoring the episode. All right, we're back. Let's uh, finish up with the news here. Um, It's Pong's 50th birthday today. It's not just an abstract concept, this whole Atari 50 thing. Today is apparently, uh, if Wikipedia is to be believed, I don't know. Um, this is the build date as the 50th birthday of Pong, which I guess would mean that's the anniversary of it being placed in that tavern where the story happened with the coin box getting overflowing and all of that sort of stuff. It's crazy to think that, um... Well, I was going to say that video games are 50 years old, but I guess video games are older than 50 years old. You know, Pong is not necessarily the first, you know, it's the first commercial application, but of course, you know, you had your computer space and some of that other stuff happening around that time and in, in, in the decades, in the, in the years prior. Um, But yeah, I guess 1972. That's, uh... That's
1: before I was born. Not by much, but... Uh, but yeah, uh, I have i don't know
0: if you've seen a Pong machine in person. I recommend it. It's neat when you see it, especially, you know, like you just, you realize how old it is and, and the idea that it made it this far and survived and all of that stuff is, uh, I feel like that's one of those things that just gets more and more impressive as time goes on, when you see a, a full-on arcade Pong machine. Is, yeah, there's a few out there in museums, the, the museum in Texas. Uh, has, yes, uh, seems to have one. I would, I would bet that the strong probably has one if I, if I had to guess, but I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe there's a list online somewhere of like publicly available Pong machines if you want to see one.
1: But, um, I always think about the big computer space, um,
0: cabinet that my local arcade used to have. And this would have been, you know, this was by this point, it was like 1980, something like that, but it was this gigantic wide machine and it was the two player, you know, it's, it's computer space. So it's like two ships flying around shooting each other. There's like a black hole in the middle and all of the buttons were keyboard keys. They felt like the keys on a keyboard for rotating the ship and thrust and shield and, 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 and all the firing and, and all that sort of stuff. And I should find a picture of one of these. Cause you know, obviously like there was uh after computer space came the other, I've the name even eludes me right now, but, uh, but yeah, all the, all the discrete circuitry era of arcade games and all of that weird stuff is really kind of, fascinating to see and to think that like you know it would be less than a decade between Pong and Pac-Man you know so we would go through the whole Space Invaders era of black and white games and then suddenly you would have more and more color um, color games color Space Invaders clones and Nintendo made Space Invaders clones everyone made Space Invaders clones in the late 70s Nintendo had one called I think it's called Space Fever That that was theirs, but there are a zillion different ripoff space invaders machines, and that we would eventually get to Pac Man, and the mainstream success that happened in the
1: United States around video games and arcades and all of that sort of stuff. Um,
0: I guess I was just the right age for all of that, you know, like it, like it was, it was the perfect time for me. It hit me at the exact perfect time, and I don't remember what my first video game experience was. The earliest arcade experience I can remember is trying to play a Space Invaders pinball machine, which that came out,
1: you know, much later than the... than the original. Yeah, that came out in 1980, so I would have been five at that
0: point, and the thing about playing pinball when you're five is you can't individually hit the flippers separately. So you just kind of mash on both of them at the same time. It's a really shitty way to play pinball, but uh, also you're probably too short to even see what the hell is happening. Um, But I remember seeing one of those at an arcade in San Francisco. And I think that might've been, it was certainly one of the first times I played video games. Pinball, you know, if we, if we lump pinball in there, obviously it's mechanical and all that sort of stuff, but fuck you. I don't feel like having that distinction right now. Um and of course, you know, just Pac-Man fever and how popular that was and you know, being there for the transition of Mario from Jumpman to Mario when they decided to give him a name and the Donkey the Donkey Kong cartoon was on um all that sort of stuff. Like it was just um it felt like everything was happening so fast and it felt like every time you went to an arcade there was something new and weird there. And, um, and because everything was still so new, it, um, it felt like there weren't really any rules for what the games were. I mean, games would fall into broad categories like this one you're shooting, this one you're running around, this one's a maze game because of Pac-Man's popularity, like maze became an arcade genre because you had Ladybug and all this other stuff that would come along and try to the Same way, everyone made a zillion Space Invaders clones, you know, suddenly there were a zillion different Pac Man style games, Crush Roller, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, and all of that. The Saturday Supercade, which had a, a variety of video games represented in cartoon format, and that show is still not available in a wide uh format like uh, there are that is there are some episodes of that that are on a lost media website that are just like yeah we don't know what happened to this but like that had a donkey kong jr cartoon that's where the kubert cartoon was where it was like the characters of the kubert video game but like they were in the 50s so they were wearing leather jackets and letterman jackets and in diners and shit it was just a that was their interpretation of
1: Cubert really fucking bizarre, but, um, crazy to think about
0: how far video games have come and, and it's truly, you know, like, you know, none of us were here when movies were invented, right? And I wonder if it felt like this when movies got to be, you know, 50-ish years old and, and seeing some of the technological leaps forward in terms of ah, back there were silent films, or, you know, whatever, uh, into talkies and all that sort of stuff. I, I, wonder, I wonder what people felt. But it's just, it's, it's one of those things that just, like, it's accelerated so rapidly. If you went back, if you were able to take,
1: I don't know, what, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, if you were able to, to take a
0: PlayStation 5 and a copy of Miles Morales back in time, And bust in on someone who had just finished programming the Atari 2600 version of Spider-Man, which is a pretty good game, all told. And just set that down and be like, yeah, yeah. It's cool, man. You can go up the building and get
1: the bombs and yeah, I don't know. Check this shit out. Um, And, uh, yeah, I don't know.
0: It's, yeah, it's... 50 years is not that long of a time. I mean, it's a a long fucking time, believe me. As someone who has almost been alive for 50 years, uh, it feels like a long fucking time. But, uh, yeah. It's weird to think about Pong being 50 years old and the idea of, like, commercial video games and and all the stuff that kind of came in the wake of that whether it was the Odyssey 2 and the Fairchild and the 2600 and you know just all the all that weird ass or even just the Home Pong machines like before before there were cartridge based devices companies were selling just fucking little boxes that played pong and they'd have the little dials directly on it some of them were like wait a minute what if you could pull the dial out and hold it a little further away um and but some of them were just right on the device and so you had to like crowd around this fucking thing that was hooked up to the TV and it could play Pong and maybe like two variants of Pong if you were lucky, two or three. And uh, and all that sort of stuff. You know, we had a, a, you know, my, I don't know, like I encountered it late. It wasn't something I was playing when it was the only option around. I had other video games at the time, but like my grandparents had one of those Pong machines. And so uh, we would set it up on the TV occasionally and play it. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, at that point it was, it's kind of lost on you a little bit, even a handful of years past to that thing's relevance. You're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Pong. All right, fine. We're over here playing
1: crystal motherfucking castles. I ain't got time for Pong. <laughs> um, maybe not quite crystal castles era, but
0: you know, but, but in in that sort of zone, uh, you know, it, it's Pong felt old fast. Pong was very much a thing that you would see and go like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Your black and white video games. Get fucked. And, uh, and you would move on, <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, let's move on to emails now. Podcast at guard.bike is the email address. Send in an email to me here. And I will sit in this room and read it at some point over the course of the week. And if I like it, I will put a little star next to it. And that means I might read it on the show. But then I might not. You know, there's some starred emails here that have been here since. Let's see.
1: Uh, here's one from October. Here's one from August. Um. <laughs> here's one from August from Al the subject the subject line this is fucked up
0: right was at a five guys and saw someone get a regular dr pepper out
1: of the coke freestyle machine psycho shit yeah al i agree (laughs) um
0: i mean if you're gonna if you encounter a coke freestyle machine which is still i i don't know i can't
1: remember the last time i saw one Take advantage of its weird flavors. Get an orange Dr. Pepper or something. Get a orange vanilla lemon Coke. You know? Um. Let's see here. Well, now I'm back in this like ancient
0: history thing of, uh, oh, here's, uh, you know, Josh uh, from Michigan wrote in about Saints Row. Remember they put, Remember they put out a Saints Row game this year? Hey, Jeff, the LARP guns you use in the LARPing missions feel better than any of the actual guns I've used in the game. That's true, Josh. Yes. The guns you use in the LARPing sequence, spoilers. Are actually uh, more fun to use than a lot of the actual guns in the in the real video game. It's a it's a tragedy. It's it's, it's but one of the tragedies. Uh, Phil has a hypothetical question. There's another dimension exactly the same as this one except for one thing. Video games were never invented. The wormhole to this other dimension is about to collapse. There is only enough time to throw one game through to represent all games. What should we? What game should we choose? I would be curious to like in, in lieu of video games, what did that dimension do instead? Did they like cure cancer or, um, did it burn to the ground? Is it a busy, a, do you think it's a better off society or a way worse off society? You know, is, uh, um, are people losing their memory earlier and earlier because they're not jogging their brains with video games on a regular basis? Um, Lochno suggests a game called Mr. Do. Hmm, imagine if that was the fucking Rosetta Stone, like the, the, like, fuck Pong, fuck Space Invaders, like, all of that. Like, the, think about the
1: idea of everything springing forth from Mr. Do. If that was
0: what you saw, and you're like, well, that's video games. Okay. Well, can we make more of these? Like, yeah, I think so. We have computers. We have stuff. We could probably do something. And you have to sit down and go like, okay, well, what do we do? What what happens with what what what's this guy do now? I mean, is every game have a clown in it? Because like, what do they, what do they take away from Mister Do? They're like, well, okay, I guess you know we gotta put a put a clown in it. Uh, Thomas says, Superman on the Atari 2600 represents today's world perfectly. Yeah. Sure. The bridge blows up. You arrest the criminals. Uh, then
1: you go to work. While dodging kryptonite satellites. That's, that's pretty... That's, uh, you know, pretty straightforward stuff. Yeah, Mr.
0: Dew in a world where Dig Dug didn't exist. Like, let's remake that movie where the guy fucking goes to, like, somehow wakes up and the Beatles don't exist anymore and he invents the Beatles except it's a guy wakes up in a dimension and he invents Mr. Doo and no one's ever heard Mr. Doo before and that it, it doesn't have the context of 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 Dig Dug existing or anything like that
1: let's write we're going to write that screenplay I don't know I think the the game you would throw through that wormhole is like what would be the
0: game that you could see video games truly springing forth from? Like, if you showed someone this, what would get the concept across in in the most pure way that would lead to people understanding
1: why they need to make more of them? You know, would you just put Pong through? Probably not. Would it be like a Pac-Man... Oni suggests
0: Tetris or chess. And like, yeah, but like, I feel like Super
1: Mario Brothers. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, you, you could almost see Super Mario Brothers conceptually
0: being like, okay, like there's kind of, there's a handful of concepts here at play. And so you know, what are you, what are you really trying to, to put together and, and all that sort of stuff, you know, like, could you, could video games spring forth from that game? Or would you warp it entirely and just be like, oh, we've, we've decided to throw the scariest fucking thing through. And, uh, and now it's a disaster, you know, like, would you put, A modern multiplayer game through but only one copy of it and so they can read it and so they can see the implication of like oh well there's supposed to be another
1: one of these and we can play together somehow and drive them insane by causing
0: them to invent network infrastructure and all of this you know like all of the stuff that you you know like adapting it to support the game and you know would the internet exist and you know like all that sort of stuff like
1: how would how would that all happen and all that type of scary shit i don't know um let's see here Jacob asks, uh, "An impossible choice. Would you rather have a new
0: season of John Benjamin has a van or a new season of Kroll Show?" I would. That is not an impossible choice for me. I would take uh, another season of John Benjamin has a van.
1: Um, nothing against. I I think I thought Kroll Show was uh, pretty fantastic. Um,
0: but John Benjamin Has a Van is, like, on another level and is such a specific fucking weird thing that it is just great on its own. Kroll Show is a great sketch show and all that. Like, it's awesome. Uh, some very funny stuff on there. Very funny people on that show.
1: But John Benjamin Has a Van is something else. Um...
0: Zackleby writes in and says, my significant other and I accidentally started a very large amiibo collection. Yeah. A shameful admission to be sure. I'm ashamed, but there are a few that have gotten quite high in value. Do you think this value will continue to increase over the years? Will
1: my now three-year-old be a millionaire by the time he is an adult?
2: Mm Hmm.
1: I bet that stuff crashes eventually. I bet that that stuff. um,
0: Crests at some point and falls apart like that's. um, I can't imagine that those are just going to last forever and go up and you know, eventually they're not going to be useful in games anymore. Also, there are a lot of them out there. And I think as. You know, when, when this stuff settles and they're not being sold anymore, it will become clear just exactly how many really exist. And it's not like they made them in some limited quantity, anything like that. Like if you want one bad enough, you can get one. Um, and so I think you'll eventually reach a point that anyone that wants to collect Amiibos will have collected them and then no one else will want them and then the value will crash. Because there just won't be any, there won't be a lot of, they won't
1: be selling anymore because everyone who wants one will have one. Um I think that'll probably happen with a lot of video games eventually too. But
0: you will run into situations of like, well, how many sealed copies of this truly exist? How many sealed copies of this old game in this specific variant in this high quality condition exist? Like those sorts of things will have value. But the people who are out there, like I bought a limited edition copy of doom eternal with the helmet and I keep it in my garage.
1: that shit ain't going to be worth shit. Anyone who wants one of those has one already. Anyone
0: truly wants one. And so what are the odds that that how many people are going to go, I've got to get every single physical PlayStation 4 game or, you know, or whatever it is. Um, Like, not that many, you know, like people aren't that crazy, all that other stuff. It's just not, you know, like I've got a bunch of, sealed disney infinity figures and with those like maybe the disney aspect of it makes it worth something in a zillion years but like probably not also a lot of you know the thing to remember is like now in this day and age you have more and more people asking questions like this like "Ooh, is this thing that i have worth a whole lot of money i better hang on to it and so things that would just get fucking tossed out like baseball cards, I'm just like, eh, fuck these things. You know, it's like, oh, all right, I played with those for a while and now they've been in the spokes of my bike for a while and who cares? Um, Like now you've got a lot of people going like, oh, well, this might be worth something someday. I better hang on to it forever. And so a lot more stuff will just make it longer <laughs> decades. So you'll have just more examples of the item around than there were. 50 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever you have. Um, and, and so I think that there's just a lot more of that stuff just out there now. Especially modern stuff, you know? It's like, how many, like, I, you know, like I've got a sealed copy of fucking the Persona dancing game limited edition for the Vita that I ended up with. Or no, I'm sorry. Just, that's, I, have, I have
1: Persona 4 Golden. Sealed for the Vita. I think is what it is. Um, no, like who cares. Anyone who wanted one of those. Probably got one already. It's a
0: great game. There will be a lot of different ways to play it. For years to come. There already are. Uh, digitally. Emulation wise. Whatever you want to say. Like there will be. Like the the game itself will be playable. So buying it for the very idea of, oh, I need to buy this so that I can play it, that's not a factor anymore. Um, and yeah, yes, that, that Persona 4 Golden Special Edition is, yes, it's worth, like yeah, like 700 bucks, something like that right now. Like, okay, sure. It will not stay that way. That value, I think, will eventually crash. So there are probably more of those out there than you think because you got people to go like, I better get two of these. One for opening and one for not opening and And, uh, collectors are weird, man. They do, you know, and, and people have been thinking that way for long enough that it's like when things finally settle, you know, maybe that thing stays at 700 bucks, but it's not going to be a million dollars. It's not going to be some like, I've got this persona for golden is now worth $50,000. The things you want to collect I feel, are from before the era when people said, oh, I should collect this. And so that's how something like Magical Chase or something ends up being worth. Who knows? Who knows? Like, a sealed copy of that, I think, sold for, what, 15 grand, 16 grand? And I think it was in slightly worse shape than mine.
1: Uh, And it's the only other one I've seen online. So how much is that really worth? Maybe someone
0: will dig up, maybe someone will like open a box in a warehouse tomorrow and go, oh shit, there's a thousand sealed copies of Magical Chase in here that are in perfect condition, and the value will crash. Or maybe they won't. But stuff that is generally older from, you know, older than the concept of collecting a thing, not that people didn't collect video games back then, but like the idea of like a sealed copy of a video game from the 80s or 90s is very silly. Um, and, and is largely accidental, I would think. It's like, oh, huh. How did I end up with a copy of Yoshi's Cookie? That's weird. And so everything now, yes, everything now is artificial scarcity. All these like, we've got a limited edition collector's edition. It comes with a steel book. I'm like, fuck you. This stuff's garbage. It's worthless unless you're truly making it in super limited quantities. But even then, if you're advertising that is being made in super limited quantities, then the people that are collector weirdos just fucking snap them all up and keep them
1: sealed in the first place. So what's the, what's the fucking, why it? it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? That's why I think, you know,
0: like when, like I, I when I come to, when it comes to me, me cataloging my games and, and figuring out what I have and all other stuff, I only care about the physical stuff because that's the stuff that A is easy. It's out of sight, out of mind. And it's the stuff that is going to, you know, potentially have some kind of value at, at some point, maybe, maybe, but the vast majority of this stuff is not going to, I, I, I don't think it's going to gain any kind of real value. And so Amiibos, if you've got them sealed, if you opened them, then fucking throw them away now. Right. I mean, if you want open Amiibos that have character data written to them, those things have been selling like hotcakes for a long time. There are a billion of them out there. When those become useless, people will flood the market with them. And then you'll be, you'll be like, Oh, I was at the Goodwill and look it's Samus. And and I got it for $3, you know, like, like that sort of stuff. But if you've got a good batch of sealed mint on card Amiibos, then yeah. You know,
1: maybe someday those end up being worth something, but you're not going to put your kid through school on it. I don't think. Um, Let's see. Look for some other questions here. Holden writes in and says GTA 6 should have High Lie. I agree. With,
0: G- With all the GTA 6 leaks confirming it is back to Florida, what are the chances it has playable High Lie this time around? I think the game's central plot should revo- revolve around High Lie gambling and match fixing. You know, something the kids of today will really relate to. Yes.
1: And a whole side quest around uh, where you are murdering people for credit, pig. Also. Skyler from Tampa writes in and says, Any
0: renewed interest in the analog pocket after the update that opened up the FPGA cores for anyone to work with? Someone just recently, and again, this was sent in September, someone just recently ported a SNES core to it that was originally for the mister. Yeah, there's been more and more uh Mr. Cores getting ported to the analog pocket. And um that's cool. I have not purchased an analog pocket. I have not pre ordered one. I think if um uh, if they were a little if they were currently a little bit better about their uh their ship dates and stuff. Right now if you order one, it just says you'll get one in twenty twenty three. I think if they narrowed that down a little bit, I would consider getting one, but I don't, I don't need one. I don't, I don't want a device that takes real cartridges. I really don't want to deal with that. And so I don't know that I have a a big use for it. Like I've got a mister and that plays all of that stuff. And then some. And then, if I want to have a portable experience, I think the steam deck is very capable, obviously, it's not going to be as accurate as, as an f p g a but it does great in a pinch, and it just works fantastically for that stuff and so uh I feel like my my needs are being met by those devices and um yeah i just i the 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 whole aspect of the analog pocket and real cartridges and you know, the open cores and stuff. I know some of the Mr. Cores have been getting ported over there. Uh, there's like a beta or some kind of alpha version of an Amiga core, which playing an Amiga on a handheld seems like a disaster anyway, but okay. Sure. Um, it's yeah, I don't know. I'm just not that interested in it, I guess. I don't know. I I would like to see one, maybe, maybe seeing one in person would really turn me around on it. Cause I think they do make nice hardware. Um, but I, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily need it. Um, and so, and so I have not purchased one. I I haven't, I haven't really sought one out very hard. Um, Seb mall in the chat asks, has the, has the credit pig thing arrived? It is not. I have not seen it yet. Maybe it'll, maybe it will arrive today
1: but I have not seen it yet. I'm keeping my eyes peeled. I'm keeping my trash can open and ready to receive it. Uh, uh, Matt writes in and says, let's talk
0: about the Nokia N-Gage, which just sight unseen, I put a star next to him and said, yes, let's. And now here we are. Is the Nokia Engage the only Finnish game console? Let's lump the original and the QD model together. Also, if you've got any in storage, the batteries might need to be checked. Uh, yeah, I guess it's probably
1: the only the only game device from Finland. I don't know. I guess I don't know.
0: Where did the Konix Multi System get developed? I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, the
1: the engage gauge was a disaster. The engage gauge was... Um, out of the gate, first seeing an engage, gauge it did not
0: seem like it was something that people wanted in any way, shape, or form. And when you got your hands on it, it was this weird push and pull of like, man, this thing really sucks. But at the same time you were looking at it and going like, this is kind of the console version of Tony Hawk one or uh, pandemonium, which was, there was a, a pandemonium port for the engage and seeing that running on a phone, even though the frame rate was shit, the aspect ratio, you know, it was like a weird, the, the format of the screen was fucking terrible or all types of games, basically. Um, and it was kind of crazy to see a polygonal game running on a phone, you know? When you think about what phone games were at the time, it was Snake, and it was like, I don't know, did I, ha- did I have my T-Mobile sidekick by that point? Because, like, I remember getting Akari Warriors. I remember buying a really terrible port of Akari Warriors for the sidekick. It was like, okay, considering it was running on the sidekick, but like, you know, seeing pandemonium, seeing Tony Hawk, seeing some of that early stuff running on an end gauge, there was an aspect of it where you're like, this is nuts. But then you would play it and go, also, it feels like garbage. Also, this phone is shit. Um, Also, uh, the controls for controlling it as a game device feel bad. Also, it's weirdly unreliable. Also, I have to take the battery out to swap cartridges, which the QD, the, the, the updated, the new, the new model of the N-Gage fixed some of that
1: stuff. But the N-Gage was immediately just, it, it felt like a very
0: desperate, um, Nokia felt very desperate to try to make the N-Gage a thing. And what I mean by that is it is the best supported hardware launch I have ever seen as a journalist um, in 30 years of doing this. They sent out so many of those fucking things and so many copies of those games to us at GameSpot.
1: They buried us in that stuff. More so than any handheld, any console,
0: anything like they were like, here, here, here. Do you want, do you got it? What you need here, here. Um, Like just so much. They sent me like half of an engage capture kit, which is really unfortunate because it'd be really neat to have an engage capture kit in this day and age. But uh, it it was I, I never was able to get it working back in the day. I ended up, I believe, passing it off to Steve Lynn. He has some parts of that. I don't know um, if any headway was made on that thing, but um, but they sent us so so much of that stuff, and you no, know, I I guess that's they really believed in it. I guess I assume so. I I never really talked to anyone that was really at Nokia, you know, they had a PR firm that was handling that sort of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, they, they, they did their thing and they got it into everyone's hands and we got it all in. And, and I remember, you know, like as the reviews editor, all of that stuff ended up on my desk and they sent it to each individual person, got a package, which was very unusual. Normally stuff would come into me, like, you know, stuff would come into whoever the primary contact was. And then, you know, if it was a review copy of a game, it would usually end up with me or, or, or whatever. Um, and it, it felt like they were making sure that everyone got that stuff. And then I feel like one by one, a lot of people came to me and said, do you want this stuff? And I was like, yeah, sure. Put it with the rest. And so, you know, people are like, here's a fucking engage gauge with a dummy sim in it. And here's like nine games. And so I, that's, that's how I ended up with quite a few sealed engage gauge games is because they sent us nine copies of fucking Puzzle Bobble and you only need to open one and maybe you don't even need to open one. Um, and so I ended up with just a pile of Engage stuff and uh, that thing, you know, like we they, they were buying a lot of ads, they were trying to make it a thing and I remember just getting it all in and going like there's no chance in hell that this thing is going to catch on. In the way that they seem to want it to, there is just no way these games are not good enough. Like it's fascinating, but I so I, I took my SIM card out of my phone and I put it into an N-Gage and I used the Engage as my primary phone for like a month or something, just to really try to live the life, right? And try to go like, well, what what is this like? What would this be like if someone said, "I'm gonna go get the game phone. I'm gonna walk into a store and I'm gonna buy an Engage. Now that's my phone now." Like, what would that life be like for those people? And I can tell you, it fucking sucked. That thing was a shit phone features-wise compared to a lot of the other stuff that was out there at the time. It just felt like shit to use, to talk on, everything, top to bottom, about the N-Gage felt like something you did not want to engage with. And then the QD came out and it was hilarious. I remember like would they sent us a QD and i remember just going like getting it going. <laughs> <laughs> woo. And then we went like, the first thing I did is take the fucking QD out of the box and go take a side talking picture with it to send off to side talking.com. That was the extent of our engaged QD coverage at GameSpot was I took that picture and fucking sent it to, I guess, did Alex, I, I forget who, um, not, not Alex do different Alex. Uh, I forget. I forget if that, if, did Portland Alex run that site or was there a different, anyway, the first thing I did was take that out of the box, walk into Tim Tracy's office and take a picture of me looking confused, trying to side talk into an engaged QD, sent that thing off and then put that thing back in a box and went like, cool man, whatever. That's it. We're done. <laughs> um, because the thing was fucking done by then. Um, and a new hardware model was not going to change that. And the user interest at that point, you know, by the time the QD came out, user interest in the N-Gage was just zero, you know, it it launched at like a five and then was down to zero, right? It it was just, no one really cared. It was not something that we felt we needed to spend our time editorially covering. It just felt like, yep, yeah, no, this thing, we've said everything we need to say about the N-Gage, like releasing five new games is not going to change that. Um, and so we moved on. There were a lot of other games coming out. We, you know, we just had other, other stuff to do, you know, not an infinite number of people devoted to covering every single Engage release.
1: So, uh, you know, we, we moved on. Um, the Gizmondo was a similarly interesting situation in so far is that the Gizmondo felt like a scam
0: out of the gate but also they hired a good PR firm in the US that you know had connections at every publication and it was a similar situation where anyone and I mean anyone who wanted a Gizmondo got one like they had a party in San Francisco and invited everyone um and invited every single person on staff even the people who were not in editorial we're leaving that party with a Gizmondo and one copy of every game they had. And it was a similar situation, where one by one, people came into my office and like, Hey! I was at that party and I got all this bullshit? Um, you have an office with the door that closes, do you want this bullshit? And me being an idiot, you're like, yeah. And so that's why I have sealed copies of Gizmondo games, and why I have, like, fucking seven Gizmondos in my garage right now. Um but they were trying to get that into the hands of everyone. And the Gizmondo was fascinating because it didn't fucking work half the time. Like you would turn the device on and it wouldn't turn on like you, it wouldn't turn on properly or you would try to launch the game and it would shut down or you're like, did I need to put the game in before I turn it on and do that? And like, that didn't work either. It's like, is it broken? What the fuck is like, it was such an unreliable
1: device. Um, it was remarkable how messed up the Gizmondo
0: was. Um, but they tried, the, you know, and, and, you know, that was a situation where you're just like, yeah, this, this thing is, no one's, th- this thing's dead. Like, what, what do you, you know, months before it came out, you're seeing the games running on it. You're looking at it. You're feeling it. You're like, this feels like trash. It is trash. Like, what? you want to put a SIM card in this thing so people can use GPS? Like, what? So they had like Gizmondo Navigator as a piece of software that you could put in there. And, you know, meanwhile, yeah, Sony had the PSP coming out and, and all this other stuff. And you're like, this thing is a piece of absolute trash. And all of these games are bad. I can't think of a single Gizmondo game that was actually good and worth playing because it was really hard to even get them to boot half the time. And sometimes it'd be like, oh, is it not booting because it doesn't have a live SIM card in it? Do I need to put a SIM card? I think in that case, I think well, I want to say they gave us live SIM cards to go with those Gizmondos that lasted for a year,
1: nine, ninety, ninety days, whatever it was. Um, And the whole thing just felt like a scam,
0: even separate from the Ferrari crash, the Dietrich stuff, whatever, organized crime, blah, 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 blah you know, you didn't really hear too much about that end of it until all of that shit happened, and then all of the stories came out, you know? But the Gizmondo... The Gizmondo is significantly worse than the Engage. like I said, because half the, like, I feel like half the devices I got my hands on, I would
1: not be able to get a game to load on it, which seems like a problem. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Um... But yeah, I don't know. That that thing
0: scary device. It feels so it felt so bad in the hand. So
1: unbelievably bad in the hand. Um Let's see here. in terms of other emails let's see if we can find something here uh, ben from the uk writes in we were talking about music and how people discover music
0: um in early october and um Ben from the UK wrote in and said, I had a song go viral on TikTok. Um, I recently enjoyed your chat about how most people almost unconsciously discover music through algorithms. I'm in a band that had a song go viral on TikTok with hundreds of thousands of videos made with the sound. While it opened doors with record companies and the like, I feel like when it comes to creating long-term fans, TikTok and algorithmic-based music discovery is a dud. Our viral song was added to many a teen playlist, but those hundreds of thousands of plays it's still amassing very rarely leak over to our other tracks. We have more monthly listeners than we do plays on any other track. In other words, they don't care about our other songs. One hit wonder element aside, I feel like this is how a lot of young people consume music now. The single is king whilst the album is dead. One of the sadder side effects being a less of a reason to follow an artist closely. Another weird part of TikTok that you may not know about is that as the artist, we're paid per video made rather than based on streams. Wow. All in all, who's someone as, as someone who's trying to make music, I very much think music streaming sucks and it's incredibly hard to make anything unless you're Harry Styles. Sorry for the long email, but I guess my question is, how would you fix the current state of the
1: music industry? Yeah. Um... I don't know.
0: I I don't know how you fix the the music industry. I mean, I think you do away with a lot of it, right? Like the you need to reshape. You probably need to take all of the kind of old school record companies and labels and all of that other stuff and fucking burn them to the ground because they are desperately trying to glom onto whatever they can to try to remain alive in a world that just doesn't need that anymore. It's not to say that you don't need record labels. It's not to say that you couldn't benefit from having people behind the scenes working in a promotions capacity or some kind of management role when it comes to getting songs out there. But you know, the idea of like Warner brothers records, you know, or, or, you know, whatever, like all these Sony records, like all these record labels, all that other stuff. Like that's, those are big bloated organizations that, that are trying to save themselves. And, that doesn't seem like it lines up with the goals of an artist that is just trying to get their music out there and, and hopefully trying to make a living, um,
1: with their music. Um, so I think that's part of it. Of course, like live music and stuff
0: matters. Um, merchandise matters. And so on and so forth, but, I I just I just don't know. The the idea that you're paid off TikTok number of videos made as opposed to videos consumed seems really messed up to me because that's like you might have one video that has millions of listens, millions of views on it that all have your song in it, but you that only counts like one video, the same as like, oh, this one video that has eight views. Or whatever. Maybe that all balances out in the end. I doubt it. Sounds like it doesn't. Um, But you know, you see a lot of people, you see a lot of musicians on TikTok that are like lamenting this fact to a certain degree, where they're like, man, it was fucking bad enough that I've got to try to like write good music and try to like put out good music that I feel good about, but like now I have to maintain a big social media presence and now suddenly I am a huge part of the marketing of my own music, even though I'm on a label and like all of that sort of stuff that a musician is suddenly like, now I've got to try to go viral. Now I've got to try to come up with a fun dance to do to my song. Now I've got to try to, to do the, you know, like, like do all of this other stuff posting on the, yeah, yeah. Now, now you're posting on this app and getting $0 from it, but hopefully it all works out in the end. Like, no, it doesn't. Clearly, clearly it doesn't. And so that's, that stuff's terrible. That stuff is, is absolutely awful. And so how do you get musicians out of that and get them refocused on just making music and not getting lost in the shuffle where music has become so ubiquitous. There's so much of it. So many people are making music. It has become the tools to make music has become so democratized the tools to distribute music on these streaming platforms have also become so, so, so democratized that anyone can do it. Not to say the music's going to be good, but in some cases, the, the better marketing is going to outshine the the quality material, right? Like, that's still a... In, in a world where the the investment... The, in- the investment on the user's end is like three minutes of time, three to five minutes of time, maybe even less if they skip the song, right? Um, that creates opportunities for people making garbage. It's something that video games can't get away with anymore, right? You can't market your way out of a bad game the way you used to. Look at something like The Avengers, um, which is, you know, bad game is extreme, you know, like The Avengers, it's not a good game but I don't mean to say like it's absolute trash or anything, but like that's a game that they spent a ton of money on, put a ton of money into making all this other stuff and they fucked up and it came out and they kept trying to fix it. They're still out there patching something on it. I'm sure. And never quite got there or guardians of the galaxy. Another, another, probably another pretty good example on that front of just like you can't market your way out of a, a bad game the way you used to be able to. Now, games in known franchises, games that have additional benefits, like, oh, it's the new Pokemon game, they're going to be largely immune to this stuff because they've got enough built-in goodwill over the years that they can get away with it. But over time, if they keep fucking people over,
1: they will shed fans. Um, Maybe not enough for them to notice, but people will grow out of Pokemon a lot faster, if the
0: games are garbage. If the games are fantastic and it's holding their attention, then they'll be more than happy to get it, to get the next one, the next one, the next one, and all this other stuff. But, um, but yeah, for a lot of those games, you, you you can't get away with like
1: putting out a bad game and then just marketing it all to hell, um, and convincing people that it's good. Music. Again, you know, if if you're getting paid by the listen, all you got to do is
0: trick people into listening and the quality of the material matters for longevity and all the other stuff you'd like to think, but you know, there are probably a lot of ways that a lot of, you know, like it's why you see, like you go look at Spotify or Apple, any, any of the streaming services and you find all these like knockoffs and you know, all the bullshit, like, you know, those are the dregs of these services. Like, oh, we put up a bunch of covers, a bunch of really terrible covers of these rap songs, or, or like, hey, De La Soul's music is not on streaming, so we put out a, an album that is all De La Soul covers performed by people who can't fucking rap. But there's going to be some percentage of people that just search for a song name or search for De La Soul, and we come up in the algorithm just high enough to skim some listens, and that's enough money for us to do that over and over again and to form a whole business around making these fucking terrible covers. It's probably a significant part of why the KLF decided suddenly like, oh, uh, we're going to put our music back on streaming services. Like, yep. Because there's a bunch of fucking low-budget, terrible covers of their songs showing up on those services. And also, the singer of those songs originally went around performing and claiming that she was the KLF. And uh, I'm sure they they don't like that. Um, and so this helps them reinforce their copyrights for all this other stuff or all of the, ah, it's been 23 years. And, ah, yes, we're going to, yes, put the horn on your head and we're going to, you know, like also there's probably an aspect there of just like, Hey, we need to shut these other fuckers down. <laughs> Even if it's not making them a lot of money, which I'm sure it's not, uh, making them a ton of money reissuing those albums. Um, they sure did just put out all the popular stuff and then disappear again. Didn't they actually, I guess the, the, um, the, the pyramid thing is happening, right? Was it this weekend? Did it just happen? They're building a, they're building a pyramid out of people's remains. Um, and they're finally getting together to do that. Uh, very soon. This, it may have happened this weekend or maybe next weekend. Anyway, point being music industry is a fucking cesspool. It's a disaster and in the ways it's changed it's uh it's in some ways it's it's leveled the playing field for everyone. And so you have these situations where someone in a bedroom with no label can break through in a way that they couldn't before. But also what does breaking through even mean anymore? You know, what are you actually getting? What what is the real money make? It, it used to be touring. Right? It used to be like, "Oh, well yeah, I mean, okay, Yes, we we got into a fucking terrible record deal, and uh, we're not going to recoup, and our advance is, you know, was, was barely enough, barely minimum wage by the time we were done recording the album and getting all this stuff done and making appearances and doing all this other shit. Um, but at least we get to go out on tour, and we're touring off the back of that album, and at least we keep our tour money unless you signed a really, really bad record deal. And then the label gets some of that too. And then the venue wants some of your merch money. And the label may want some of your merch money, depending on how bad of a deal you signed. And all that sort of stuff. So even, yeah, even, of course, then the pandemic fucked everything up too. Um, so I don't know. I, I think the music industry is, is in a lot of trouble. I think there's still a lot of uh, great, fun music coming out. And uh, I, I try to... I don't know. I, I try to buy stuff off Bandcamp when I can. Um, when it's like smaller artists that I find and enjoy, I try to like actually buy a thing instead of just streaming it when I can. Um, but it's not like, you know, I'm getting that CD or, or I, I'm buying those flax, really. I'm trying to get them flax,
1: baby. Um, But if I end up with a CD or something like that, it's going on a shelf. It's going in the
0: garage. It's going, you know, it's going somewhere else. It's not like, ah, oh, yes, let me, let me put the CD in my car. I got the CD holder up in my visor. What's this? What do we got here? Ah, oh, Van Halen 2. Let's do it. Let's just Ah, CNC Music Factory. What else we got here? Ah, Lil Wheezy. Wheezy F babies
1: here. Ah, <laughs> yes. Let's put that in. A million deed. Um... Yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I think it's it's just kind of fucked up and um.
0: I don't really know what you do to fix it. What's the revenue stream? Do you just like, is, does the expectation get altered and you're just like, well, music is not a way to actually make money anymore. And you should still do it because you have a uh, a passion in your soul and all this other stuff, but uh, you're not going to make a living. Like, uh, is that just going to be, that'd be sad That'd lead to a lot less music in the world. I think, you know, it, it's, if any, we need to find ways and this goes beyond music and not to get like super fucking empty, like both super philosophical and also totally empty with you, but like we need to find a way for artists to earn a living making art because the world tends to benefit when that art exists. And I think that's something that travels across mediums. And yeah, you can have models of direct support like patreon.com. You could go to patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman and support
1: this program. And get access to more programs like game boys to men, you know, hot shit like that. And that
0: works for some, you know, like that, that works for some artists, uh, Bandcamp and selling their stuff independently, of course, uh, can also be a way to do that sort of stuff. But, you know, again, these things then rely on artists to spend time marketing themselves and trying to get out there and raise above the noise and and all of this other stuff. And how do you, you know, I don't, I don't know how you, I don't know how you do all that, but I think it applies. You know, you see, you know, Netflix pulling out of, you know, like being a lot less spendy, right? They're like, they're, they're, they seem like they have felt the sting Of a downturn, and they're like, oh, well, we're not funding shit anymore. (laughs) Like, we're done with all of these shows. All this shit that no one was watching, the people said, like, this is great. We canceled after two seasons? Yeah, we're just not even going to make it at all anymore. And, uh, you know, so what happens to movies? What happens to television? What happens to music? And, and, you know, independent games, too, you know, obviously. You know, it's you know, how do you get that stuff funded? How do you get that stuff out there for the betterment of the culture? Not that, I mean, uh, you know, was there, has there ever been a Netflix show that benefited the culture? I
1: don't know. (laughs) Uh, Castlevania. Uh, Sure. No, Uh, you know, the, 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 you know, how do you, how do you do that?
0: How do you make that happen? Yeah, how do you create a world where the OA makes enough money to uh to continue being made so that that story gets told in its entirety? I have seen enough of the OA to know
1: that I don't need there to be more of the OA made. But my wife enjoyed it. Um and
0: yeah, how do you how do you fund stuff like that? How do you make stuff like that happen in a way that um that those stories can be told. Yeah, it's a good point. Is there a monoculture anymore? No. We had a brief fake monoculture. Well, not quite a monoculture, but like everyone gathered together a little bit over these last few years, you know, and uh, everyone was talking online a lot more because everyone was trapped in their houses and, and all that sort of stuff. And so you would have little pockets of people talking all the time. And then more and more people had to go back to work. And started spending time with different people, and all the, and it all kind of broke apart again. Um, yeah, Tiger King, MC M on oh, the Discord points out. I did. I also did not watch Tiger King because I don't care. But like everyone was talking about Tiger King and that sort of stuff, and and, and now it's Andor, which I as, as I understand it, Andor sounds like it's really good. I am highly considering watching Andor at some point because I've heard enough good things about it and the idea that it exists, you know, in a rogue one esque pocket, rogue one being like the last star Wars thing I saw, uh, and also enjoyed quite a bit. Um,
1: yeah, I don't know. I I'm, I'm thinking about watching it. It sounds like it's great. And not just like here's another
0: Star Wars thing for you, you Star Wars asshole. So it sounds like it's better, it's better than just that. So so that's that's probably my bar at this point. Um,
1: but yeah, I don't know. I don't, you know, we could we could talk for another hour about how
0: you know the closest thing we do have to a monoculture probably is like Marvel movies
1: and TV, and that universe and the problem with that but i think you can guess what i would have to say about that shit so uh i'll save you from that it's uh yeah i just i just don't care um <laughs> Uh, Ian in Manchester
0: writes in and says, finally, the independent platform enables, takes the reins off, in turn enabling Goldie-looking chain content that I love and those who don't know truly need. Um, and then he asks about a, a bunch of questions about the GLC. Um, he's in Manchester, so much closer to where the GLC is found. What are your favorite standout tracks? What are your thoughts on the post-Maggot era? How the fuck did those Newport boys get across to you in California? Yeah, I, I we we got I got way into the Goldie looking chain in uh, probably like oh three oh four or something like that. I forget. Whenever they put out the greatest hits album, I believe it was called Straight Out of Newport over here, or vice versa. I forget what the actual situation was with that. But their, you know, it was kind of like their first big record, but it was really compiling a lot of their CDR. Like, the shit that they were just independently distributing um, onto one album. Uh, GameSpot was in the same location as mp3.com at the time, and mp3.com was covering music, and Tim Tracy, who was doing video for GameSpot, also occasionally did some video work for mp3.com. And he came to me and said, you need to check this shit out because he had gotten his hands on like th- video, the video for Guns Don't Kill, uh, Guns Don't Kill People Rappers Do, uh, which is a great song. And, and so he had gotten the video for that and he had to process it so that it could go up on mp3.com or whatever it was. And so this was... They were getting ready to come to New York for the first time, and they played some shows in the US around that time to support the release of the album in the States. No one cared. No one noticed. And um, and that was that. But that video was fucking great. And I was like, man, yeah, fuck yeah. Well, this is yeah, all right. Let's get our hands on this album. So we got our hands on that album. We're like, yeah, this is yeah, all right, okay, yes. I am someone who also wants to wear track suits and sit around and do nothing. This is great. Um, and so, yeah, uh, me and my roommate, Chris, he got into it also. And, uh, we just, I don't know. I, I was already on going down the road of buying track suits and I feel like that really pushed it all along. I feel like a lot of the look of when, when Chris and I were doing Midnight Brown, which was a band we did, which is not really a rap thing, but this kind of is. Um, we just fucking, I don't know, we found ourselves just owning a ton of tracksuits and just looking like fucking dirtbags. Um, this led to me tracking down the full season, a full run of episodes top to bottom of Celebrity Big Brother, the season that Maggot from GLC was on it. And I watched all of that. And all of the, like, Big Brother's Big Breakfast, which was the first time I ever saw Russell Brand do anything before he came to the U.S. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. They put out albums after that, and I feel like they never really recaptured the magic of, like, the first, like, it was like, what? It was like uh uh Straight of Newport and Safe As Fuck were, like, the two... Like back to backs, like th- those were the two. That was like the middle period there where they were on a label. Then they got dropped and released a ton of stuff independently. And they're still theoretically doing something to this day. Um, but I think the newer stuff is a lot like they started chasing parody novelty, uh, success with songs like Dubstep Christmas or, um, Fresh Prince of Combran is that how you pronounce that? I don't know Um, like there's just a a handful of songs in the later days that just feel like they are like this is something that might be a bit and and sure enough like they got YouTube views off of that stuff but like I don't know Uh, they uh They also put out a bunch of albums before that that seemed like they were just passed around on CDRs and so you had to track those down online and I got my hands on most of that stuff and it's just... It's fucking... Like, that early stuff is really terrible from a, like, rap flow perspective but uh, really engaging from a comedy like, this shit is fucking dumb and I love it type of perspective. Like, they honed it up to a point by the time Guns Don't Kill People Rappers Do was coming out but everything before that is like has a real charm to it of just like this is fucking ridiculous and, and and the samples are fun and all this other stuff. And then when they went independent and still sort of putting out stuff, like you know, they, they didn't necessarily have
1: the budget for a lot of those samples. And so you saw less of that and a lot more uh you know uh, a lot more of kind of their own homegrown beats from the sounds of things. Um
0: and they went on to do it, but I don't know. I think they still play shows here and there, it seems like um and um. Yeah, I don't know. I they 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 put out a lot of fun shit. I think that they rap well for what they do. And um. Yeah, man. I I I love Goldie looking Shane. They're they're fantastic. What do I think. What do I think of the streets?
1: Streets. He's he's
0: fine. That dude's fine. Uh, Mike Skinner is that his name? Um. Original Pirate Material is uh Is a really great album. Um, and then there was another album right around that same run there in the middle that, that was, I think quite good, but, but I don't, I don't remember. I, I'm not as, as super deep into it. Um, you know, it's no, so solid crew, 21 seconds. I mean, you know, that's a fucking, that's a banger right there. You know what are you can do? I bought that single on CD on a whim when I was in London, I just went into a record store. I went into like a tower records in fucking like Piccadilly. I I forget where the fuck I was, but um, I ended up uh, in a tower records in London and just looking around for stuff to buy. And I was just like, what's, what's good here? I was like, well, are there some shampoo albums I don't have yet? We need to go find those. Uh, But I already had them all. Uh, And the true rare shampoo stuff only came out in Japan. Uh, little mini CD single. Also, um, Anyway. And I was just looking at like, what are the hot singles right now? And like at the time, uh, 21 Seconds by So Solid Crew was like the number one or number two thing there. So I'm like, ah, I'm all right. I'll, I'll get whatever this is. And so that's the only song by them I know. <laughs> and uh, I think it's all right. It's not great. Uh, 21 Ounces by The Goldie Chain is a better song. I will say. I also bought the uh, the first Nerd album there. The first N.E.R.D. album came out in the U.K. Like way before it came out in the U.S. And it is totally different, but also the same. They put that album out in the U.K. And all the beats were like synth beats and all just kind of very... You know, like like just produced. And... I got it and I was like, this album's fucking insane. This is the best. It was, yeah, it was the album that had lap dance on it and all that other stuff. And it was all just like, it was the Neptunes producing it. So it was just like, you know, it sounded like Neptunes beats a little bit more poppy than some of the rap stuff they had done. But like, it was, it was them producing it. And then when that album came out in the US, they had replaced all of that production with live instrumentation. I think it was like, like Chad learned how to play some instruments, but also the guys for that formed the band Chester French. Because more podcasts need to be talking about Chester fucking French in this day and age. Um, I think they played on it. Anyway, they replaced all of that shit with totally new instrumentation, live instruments, and it had such a different feel.
1: Obviously. Um. And it's fucking Like, I think both versions of that album are fucking
0: incredible. And I remember getting that. I remember buying that in London and going back to the house that we had rented because we were there for ECTS. We were covering a trade show. This was 2001, I think. I went to, I only went to London twice and I think it was, I think this was the time I went, it was like literally, uh, less than two weeks after nine 11 because I had to go, no, no, this would have been before. This would have been right before. So the, the run I was on that year was I went to Tokyo for TGS.
1: No, I went to Tokyo for an arcade show in the summer. Then went to ECTS in
0: London. So I, I was like there for like a week because I had a friend over there. She was, a, uh, she was there as an exchange student. And I was like, well, I'll hang out I'll just hang out in London for a few extra days. Why not? And um we went and saw a stand up comedy show in London. Super fucking weird. Anyway, um, and then I got home, nine eleven happened, and then I went to TGS. I may have the order I'd have to look up the events of like when when that stuff, you know, when each I may have had the order slightly wrong, but um but yeah. So, so I was in London right around that time. And I remember, I remember being in London and thinking, yeah, I was in London before 9-11 happened. I was in London walking around thinking like, man, there are no, why are there no garbage cans in any of these airports? Why are there no garbage cans in the airport? And someone said, it's because people put fucking bombs in them. And you're like,
1: what? What? And then when I went to leave London... Um, when I got back, the questions they asked me were very specific. Um,
0: they were asking like, Hey, um, do you have a clock radio with you? Did you get it repaired while you were gone? Like they were asking questions like, did you have any kind of electronics that you had repaired while you were here that people could have put bombs inside? was basically the question they were asking and it was f- fucking crazy. Cause you're like, I can't believe like what, what the fuck is going on in London that this is like, it, it was, it was this weird thing about like, what is happening in the rest of the world? Like, man, I, this is really crazy. And then I got back and nine 11 happened. I was like, Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah. Okay. I get it. Uh, and, and it, to me it felt like this weird thing about like oh i guess like now america is part of all of this as well we've been so sh- shielded from those types of concepts and stuff like that and now it's like oh okay well now this is just, all right i guess that's th- i guess that's what the world is um and it was it was a
1: weird it was weird weird situation i guess i don't that's a that's a flip way to put it but there you have it um And yeah, Uh, let's see here if we have any more solid emails here before we go, we'll go back to some more recent ones from this morning, Uh, or no, this one's from yesterday. Brian writes in and says, I present the following for
0: your consideration. No matter what your opinion is on Donkey Kong Country as a game, the reveal in the game's instruction manual that Cranky Kong is the original Donkey Kong from the 80s remains, to this day, the most creative or interesting decision Nintendo has made with one of their major mascot characters. I remember this detail being a big deal at the time, and I cannot think of a single other Nintendo character that has had this kind of change in their character role and design. While everyone else remains forever young and the same, the OG Donkey Kong grew old and bitter along with the rest of us. Why did Nintendo never do this with other characters? Was it just rare getting away with things? Why did Jumpman never make his return as Mario's similarly jaded and angry grandfather?
1: That'd be pretty good. Um... Yeah, it, it's crazy. It,
0: I I think that's awesome. I don't I don't like Donkey Kong Country. I never have. It's a scam. <laughs> um, and uh, but I respect the hell out of the idea that uh, Cranky Kong is actually the original Donkey Kong. But did they ever? Um, so this is because because I don't follow the the franchise that closely. Because, as I said, those video games are scams, they're, fool- they're, they're ripped, they're fooling you. Um, with their pre-rendered silicon graphics is Is the Donkey Kong in Donkey Kong Country intended to be a grown-up Donkey
1: Kong junior? then Like that's the did they ever address that fully? I think that's the thing I'm actually curious about, like yes, that is supposed to be. Donkey Kong Jr. all grown up? Okay. So, I think that's pretty awesome. You know, like, like
0: forget about the rest of the, the stuff. Like, I don't know. Diddy Kong. Is Diddy... Okay, here's my question. Now that we've been talking about London and the United Kingdom here for a little bit, what is it with the term Diddy, D I D D Y? Is that, how is that phrase, is that something that is used in the United Kingdom to mean a specific something? Or, yeah, are they, are, because again, yes, I will bring up the Diddy donuts that I, when I went to London on that trip, I went to a Burger King where they had the Texican Whopper, which was a Whopper that had. Basically like a jack-in-the-box taco stuffed in the middle of it. It was quite good. And it was a little spicy. It was good. But they also were selling Simpsons-branded donuts that were called Diddy Donuts. And they were these shitty little
1: things. They were absolute shit donuts. It's a way to say titty? Really? That can't be.
0: D-I-D-D-Y. Like 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 Sean Combs. I, I'm at... Is there something... Okay. Diddy means stupid in Scotland? It means little or
1: tiny? Diddies are titties. Shitty diddy... I, hmm. It just means small. Okay. Okay. So that makes sense, that Diddy would, because Diddy Donuts, they are small, they are shitty donuts, and that makes sense that Diddy Kong would be small. Because he is. All right. I guess, I'm assuming Sean Combs did not know that when he decided to change his name to Diddy. Maybe he would have gone a different route with it. I don't think you want to be known as small, per se. You know, but but hey, um, yeah, but yes, the the Donkey Kong
0: Country lore, if nothing else, is tremendous, and I I do appreciate all of the Kong fam. Like I, you know, as much as I don't care about Diddy Kong because fuck him, uh, Funky Kong, I think is eternal, <laughs> um, and the idea of Funky Mode is also great. I just wish those games were better. At least they are rendered in real time. You know, like the modern ones are at least, you know, rendered with real-time graphics and and look nice and all of that sort of stuff. I still don't think the platforming feels good because they are attempting to make it feel a little bit like that garbage-ass SNES trilogy. Man, those games. Ugh. Gross. Gross video games, the
1: Donkey Kong Country games. Donkey Kong 64. Hey, you know. They just went too far. They got too close to the sun with Donkey Kong 64, you know.
0: They had made too many of those. And their answer was, what if we inserted even more things you could collect?
1: What if we did that? What what if we made the cartridge yellow? What, What if we did this? Yeah. yeah. Ugh. Let's see here. Maybe we take like one more. Um Ryan from Phoenix
0: writes in and says, "How wild was old E3? Over the years I've heard you and associates hint at cigar, cigar chomping, execs and wild parties in back rooms or the like." I'm not asking you to incriminate anyone or yourself, but what sort of trash degeneracy took hold? You know, it's not, A, I, like, I was not invited to any, you know, crazy parties with untoward things happening. So, so anything I'm telling you is going to be at least secondhand um, or rumored or heavily rumored. But like, I guess the thing I'll say is that there was a lot of alcohol served at, at at all of these parties. There still there still are, you know, when when those things happen,
1: if they happen again. Um It was a bunch of nerds and business people,
0: groups of which are uh traditionally very bad at holding their alcohol. And so it was just a lot of people getting super fucked up and being a real mess, and so you would
1: see people throwing up. You would see people hooking up. You would see stuff like that, um, and um, there would be the rumors, of course. Like the the big one was
0: always the 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 Idos party, which I've talked about before, where Third Eye Blind played, and they had a Lara Croft ice sculpture. And that was the party where it was heavily rumored that there was some upstairs area and they had prostitutes up there. Oh man. Like that was the, that was the talk, but I have still to this day not heard from anyone who said, Oh yeah, I was there and, and said anything one way or the other about what was going on in the VIP area of said party. So, so I don't really know, but yes, that that is also the party where the, the fucking lead singer of third eye blind
1: uh, said that he wanted to fuck Lara Croft. And I believe in the middle of uh semi-charmed life. Um, it's pathetic. Um, yes, I did post my receipt from Burger King, but probably with the Diddy Donuts on it. Uh, yeah, it, the...
0: It was just, I think it was, you know, uh, the video game industry was not... None of these companies were public companies yet and they didn't answer to shareholders and so they weren't as buttoned up as they are now not that that necessarily stopped like I feel like it just that drove a lot of the fucking darkness to be even darker and even more oppressive to women um I don't know when I got into this business it was, and, and, and this is something that's like, I think still it's less true than it was, but the thing we always used to say and you always always joke about is like, it's a, it's a weird joke, I guess, but like the, the video game industry covering video games, working in video games, going to these events, all this other stuff, it really inspires you to achieve a certain level of functional alcoholism. And there's a lot of conversation now about like, um, you know, uh, people not wanting to go out after work for drinks and stuff like that. That's not just video games. I mean, across like a lot of businesses, people going like, no, I don't want to go hang out with my boss after work. Like, fuck that. And, you know, older people being like, well, that's how we build camaraderie. And that's how we do this. And we work late hours to, to build that kind of team spirit and all this other shit, which is all fucking horse shit and all fucking garbage. Um, and no one should have to do any of that stuff to excel at a job. No one, it's absolute garbage, but there was a certain aspect of it, there was a certain expectation. I and I never, I mean, I so like there was a period of time there, I'm gonna say in the mid 2000s, um, where a lot of people working on GameSpot were hanging out a lot, like going on vacation together and, you know, like, Hey, let's all go to Vegas and, you know, like, like go do this. And I, I, you know, since I didn't live in San Francisco, it was very difficult for me to be involved with any of that stuff. I was jealous at, at a certain point of just like, Oh man, it sounds like, it seems like fun going out and hanging out at all these bars every night and just like, yeah, let's go out and, 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 all this sort of stuff. But like, I just, you know, I had to drive 40 miles at the end of the day, so um, so I just never really hung out like that. And I, I, occasionally I would, you know, like when I was there'd be like, Oh, I'm I'm with somebody else and they're going to drive or, you know, like, like whatever, maybe I'll crash somewhere like that happened a couple of times. But like, but generally I, I just wasn't able to do that because I always felt like, well, I got to fucking get home and I can't, so I can't hang out and drink all night and then drive 40 miles. That certainly will not happen. But, um,
2: but
1: yeah,
0: I don't know. Also, at that point, maybe they would not have wanted to. I I don't know. Like at that point, I was I was not everyone's boss, but I had you know had seniority over a lot of people, and maybe maybe I would have been the last fucking person they would have wanted to see. I I don't really know. Um. So. Yeah, I I don't know. I I don't you know the the wild parties, all that sort of stuff. Like you hear stories, you hear like little hints, but. The thing I'll say is that it was just everyone was a lot more casual about everything. About their event and what time it started and this and that. And like, oh, yeah, we got an open bar here. Whatever, you know, it's, you just come by whenever we got it for three days straight. So just, you know, hey, if you want to come by here every night, like Acclaim had uh, at CES, we talked about this on Game Boys to Men. This last episode is about Mortal Kombat and Acclaim was publishing that. Acclaim had a suite at the Desert Inn, which is a hotel in Vegas that I don't think exists anymore. And there was one night that was designated, this is the night of the Acclaim party. And you would have a lot of people there. But They had that suite for the entire time. And you could just go. (laughs) Like, at night, you just go over there and, like, there'd be people there drinking, doing whatever. It'd be, like, fewer people than during the official, like, party night. But they still had that Mortal Kombat machine. (laughs) And so... We would go there every fucking night to play Mortal Kombat. And I, I i didn't, I don't think I had a drink of alcohol at those acclaimed parties. I was underage. And so I think I was just scared to try to get served because I didn't want to get ID'd and then get kicked out because I wanted to play Mortal Kombat. Um, more than I wanted to experience alcohol at age 16. And so... Uh, but you know, it it was a lot of stuff like that of just like, you know, hey, everywhere you go, here's another open bar. Everywhere you go, here's another bartender serving anybody. Like it, it was just a lot of stuff like that. And and I think it's still sort of like that. Um But also I think everyone's got, you know, like everyone's got their itineraries down a lot more and and a lot of, you know, and the um like, oh, we've got influencers coming, so we've got this, you know, we've got this open bar set up for this also. You know, like, there's, you know, there's obviously, like, different layers to that now, too. And and that's all kind of different. I remember I went to the Mortal Kombat, uh, the the reveal event for the most recent Mortal Kombat. They had that in LA. Um, And they gave out drink tickets. So instead of an open bar, it was like, here's, they, they were
1: coins that had the fucking mortal Kombat logo on them. And, um, and, uh, you know, you could exchange those for, for drinks. And I
0: thought, ah, these coins with the MK logo on them are sure a lot cooler than getting drinks at this bar at 1 PM. So, um, so I just hung onto them, uh, cause that was way Cooler. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so, but yeah, I don't know. There's still an aspect of this business that is, you know, that that is events and it is throwing an event and it is, uh, Hey, we're putting on this event, come out to our event. It is catered. It is fully catered and, uh, all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, that usually means that it's got a bar of some kind and, you know, oftentimes that is an open bar. I just, you know, the, Thing with the the way we kind of handled things at GameSpot, or at least the way we tried to think about it, I don't I don't know that everyone necessarily shared this um this this feeling or this mentality. The last position I ever wanted to be in was where it felt like someone who was putting out a game had done me a favor. The last position I wanted to be in is in a position where I felt like I owed a favor to someone who worked at a game company. Because I would not want to have the conversation even of them trying to cash it in and a hey, hey buddy, hell yeah. Hey, sure had a lot of fun at this party. Anyway, um about the coverage for this game. What do you think about it? You know, like I never wanted to end up in any situation where that conversation
1: would even come up. And it never did. I worked with people who crashed jet skis at events. Um,
0: and like, the, you know, because Atari had an event in Hawaii or something and, uh, and people went out there and they're like, hey, today we're going to go out on jet skis. And then the guy that we sent out on that trip or one of the people, because I think we sent multiple people, crashed a fucking jet ski on Atari's dime. And they were rentals and I'm sure everyone's got insurance and whatever, whatever. Whatever but you never want to end up in that situation. And so it's like the, the only right answer there is to be like, Oh, have fun on your jet ski thing. I'm going to hang out. I'll, I'll I'll catch up with you later tonight or something, you know, and, and all of that sort of stuff. And it's why we kept reviews and previews separate because the preview people would go to those events and me, the review people, I would sit at, at the office and not go anywhere. And, uh, and be like lightly jealous of some of these crazy stories. But like, that's, you know, that's also probably why I didn't see if, if anything, if there were any truly wild parties, I didn't get invited to a lot of stuff because I was on the, I ran the reviews team. And so it was my job to stay out of that shit. It was my job for like, okay, when the games show up, give them to me
1: and I will fucking tell the world. And then when the company gets pissed, we'll figure it out. (laughs) Um,
0: and all that sort of stuff. It was just kind of how we tried to run things. And um, it worked. It, I, I feel like it worked pretty well. But you need to have so many people on staff to pull that off. Right. And so I don't think anyone has the staff to truly do that anymore. Everyone has to kind of do a little bit of everything in this day and age. And so the the idea of like having these totally separate teams for previews and reviews, it just doesn't. I, I don't think that truly works anymore. Um, no one could afford it, and uh and yeah, but that's you know, but that was always how I I tried to treat that stuff is is like I don't you know like you know you're gonna go you're gonna be cordial it's not gonna be like standing there going like I hope you assholes are having fun I'm not because I'm on the level I'm not on the take like you fuckos you know it's not it's not some big fucking standoffish thing or at least it shouldn't be um but you know there was stuff like I went to Vegas for an EA event. Um, and they had a Need for Speed game coming out, of course, and this was the year that they were showing, uh, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning before it came out. So whatever game, I think maybe may Syndicate may have been there also, um, which means it was the trip where I fell in love with Dubstep and, uh, he, they took everybody out on some racetrack for the day. And so like, yeah, we're gonna get in fast cars and do fucking pace car laps and all this other cool shit. And I'm like, that sounds like super fun. I'll hang out here. Um, but also then, you know, when Namco had their event back in the day, and I think this was, this was kind of a learned thing about like, I'm going to maybe not do as much of that sort of event type stuff because sometimes it just doesn't feel comfortable, but you know, I still have the tape. I, in fact, I have my VCR here hooked up, but like, you know, when Namco had their event where they let people fly jets over Las Vegas, I flew jets over Las Vegas. It was fucking cool as shit. I don't think much of that era of Ace Combat, but those, that event was cool as shit. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I played Laser Tag in Phoenix and then saw Oni running on a PlayStation 2. Or, uh, you know, I, I went to Las Vegas and drove around in the desert on ATVs and Jeeps with a bunch of fake cocaine because Smuggler's Run was coming out. It's fun. You know, like the the industry isn't that anymore either. Like the, the fun events have gone away. And that's probably for the best in the long run. I think that there's still some stuff that they'll do for like if they're trying to do big-time influencer stuff. But generally, a lot of those people are now on an even crazier schedule where like there was um I saw pictures of it I wasn't there but it was for one of the WWE games and they were showing off gameplay for the first time and they were showing it to influencers and I think some press was there and they had all these stations set up the Call of Duty event the recent Call of Duty event was like this too where you just see this sea of stations and they all have webcams hooked up to them because the people that are sitting down to record the video need their face cam footage in it as well so that they can record their reactions and them going like, Oh, that body slam. Oh
1: shit.
0: You know, and they had some wrestlers there going around to sit at the stations for a little while to record those sorts of things and, and and do that sort of stuff. And
1: I don't know, man, I, I just, That's stuff
0: that, you know, because I would rather go and record the footage and then come back and talk over it separately in that specific case. I don't need to fucking comp a shot and be like, okay, I'm going to go over here in the corner. Oh, you already got it all set up and I can just walk down and, you know, like a, a lot of events that that have capture stations set up don't have cameras and they'll give you a USB stick at the start of the event. I'm like, here you go. And you can just walk up, plug it into the front of the fucking Elgato thing that they got set up start your capture with all their gear and then come out of the event with your footage and you're good to go. I have had that go wrong so many times because their gear was not configured properly or or all those other stuff that I end up bringing my own shit half the time anyway in case it doesn't work right or in case I like record a little bit and go like, oh, fuck. So like that Mortal Kombat event, in fact, I um I went to that event and came back with footage but the footage was all fucked because the way they had it set up was they had headsets with mics on them and so they didn't do face cams but they had audio and so the all the footage I took had audio from a microphone that I didn't even realize I was that it was on while I was wearing it and so I'm mostly playing by myself but then uh, Woods Xavier Woods Austin Creed came up he was there. And he comes and with, Hey man, and I was like, so like I played a couple of rounds with him and then we're just talking, shooting the shit. And I realized like, I fucking can't use any of this. Like I can't use any of this audio because it's like, it's us having like, not like a fucking super serious conversation, but it's like, here's this fucking personal coffee. Like, Hey man, what's your schedule? Oh, you doing this? You know, like whatever, just catching up. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I was like, "Well, fuck, man!" I think if you go back and watch those videos; they're out there. I, I tried to like salvage. I tried to filter the audio five different ways, like running it through fucking Isotope RX and all this other stuff, trying to salvage some of it. I don't remember if I ended up just like muting all the audio and just saying "fuck it" or, or what ended up happening with it. But, um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, you end up in in some of those situations where it's like it's built for like someone recording like a different type of video than you are or whatever. But like the, the face cam thing always felt like that's not because again, because like, I don't fucking, I just don't trust their gear half the time. You know, I wouldn't, I just, I just want to, um, I just want to come out with clean game footage and then I can figure out what to do with it later. I don't need to record my, Oh, you know, in the moment. Right. I can fake that. later. (laughs) um, but that that's that's weird. So like that Call of Duty event that they just had when they did their multiplayer reveal and they, they they've been doing this for a while now. They had all those kiosks set up. Everyone was running their own Twitch stream from the event or you wherever they stream to, fucking Facebook Gaming, whatever. Um and and so they were just had all these streamers running streams out of the event. And so it's all these generic shots with the face and cam- like everyone just doing their thing. And I'm I'm sure it's cool because, like, you know, for, for the person going to the event, they're like, oh, I get to broadcast this game super early and be at this event and, and shoot other streamers. And, oh, what a fun, cool thing that is. Or, you know, whatever. We're all big time, big timers, you know, and, and all that sort of shit. um But that's just, I don't know, man. It's just that that stuff feels so fucking manufactured and weird. And I, I don't know. I feel like if I found myself in that situation... Then I guess I would run a stream, but it it just to, just to see what it's like. And maybe I would come away from going like, Oh, that wasn't so bad. It was fine. Fucking whatever. But like something about that, something about the company providing every link in the chain, except for you. And you just come in, you sit down and they've got the full thing set up and you just enter your fucking stream key and start streaming. And you're streaming from this time to this time. And, you know, I'm sure some of those people got paid to be there. Who knows? Like, for some of them, I'm sure they didn't get paid because it was probably, like, better. It's, like, good exposure for them. or I, I, I don't know. I have no idea how Activision runs that part of that event, right?
1: And, um... But it's just fucking strange. You know what I mean? Like, to me, that feels really fucking
0: weird. And it, it feels really awkward. It, it seems like something that I would go, like, I don't know that I want to be a part of this. But I've never done that before, and so I think presented with the opportunity, I would, I would probably do it. If I walked into that situation, I was like, "Oh shit,
1: uh, you're set up for everyone to stream." I, hmm, I get okay, I guess. Um, but yeah, it it that whole thing just feels really
0: awkward to me. Um, and 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 a little manufactured, I guess. I don't I don't know which you know it is, but. I don't think that's necessarily a problem per se. It's not like they're buying those people's opinions or anything like that. And, and I'm sure maybe in some cases they are, you know, some people, some people have lawyers that when the contracts get sent their way, they strike all the language about not saying anything negative about the games. And some people don't.
1: And they don't tell you which, because they all say hashtag sponsored. Right. But, uh whatever I, you know, like I, I, I think those people are
0: fine doing what they're doing. I think as, as for me, it's as long as everyone is disclosing what they're doing and everyone is not, you know, ambiguous about what it is and they're very upfront and clear about what this stuff is, then Hey, fine.
1: It's not a huge problem, but all of that stuff feels very awkward to me in a way that like, doesn't feel conducive to like what, what I
0: want to do when I cover games. But yeah, again, does the audience even know the difference? Do they care? That, that's the big question. I mean, that, that's always, that is the big driving factor for me over the last few years. And, and now being kind of out on my own and thinking this stuff through is like, you know,
1: uh,
0: as opportunities come my way, which ones should I do and which one should I pass on? So far, it's been pretty obvious that when the Rage Shadow Legends people come calling, I don't return those emails that's not the type of business I want to run here. You know, um, I pasted, I pasted the email that I got from them on the discord a while back and was just like, look at this. Like they're saying, if I do this and 200 of you install it and play past the tutorial, they'll give me $3,000. It's
1: just like, all right, whatever, man. Fuck. Like that's, you should, you should charge more than that. If you're
0: out there streaming, You should be, you should be asking for more money, a lot more money to do that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. And then I, I got something here. I got something today. I got to go. They got to end this show. Um, I get a lot of emails from people from companies that are doing chairs or like, um, Steam deck like like their own kind of steam deck style devices uh a lot of like hey, would you like to do a sponsored video with our with our steam deck uh uh dock with our with our dock or our skin for this or show this or show that um and I've gotten a couple of people like doing chair stuff and and uh and so far i' have, I have not said yes to any of that sort of stuff i don't you know i i don't know I, but but again like i I want to try to at least be open to some of these concepts, even if none of these things are things that feel like they're a natural fit for me. Like what's the, what's the right thing that does like, you know, would I be a featured personality on a sponsored competitive game stream? Maybe. Would I allow a game to sell merchandise that was affiliated with me? Like you could get a t-shirt, with my face, you know, whatever, the, whatever the design is, but like, you know, could you do a thing where it's like, you get the Jeff Gersman show t-shirt, uh, pack in this game. Like maybe, maybe in the right situation for the right game. Like maybe that's something I would be interested in, I guess. Um, oh, a sponsored energy drink is like a fucking no brainer. Yes, of course. Psychus. Yes. If, if, if a company came along and said, we want to do a, a branded energy drink thing that you can work on. I would do that if only to document the process and and come out the other end and be able to tell you how real or not real it all is.
1: Um, I think that stuff would be fascinating. I think that would be fascinating. Um, but
0: who the fuck knows? I, you know, it's such a, it's such a weird business and I, you know, I don't even know. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I guess the, the thing I've learned over the last like months here of, of ranking energy drinks is that I don't ha- hate every flavor of G fuel. Like I think the G fuel powder is disgusting, but the the cans that they sell now, some of those, as you've seen on the rankings, are actually okay. But, um,
1: not that I rate in a, in a world where they're doing deals with a PewDiePie, for example. Um, I don't think we have quite as many viewers as a PewDiePie yet. Yet. <laughs> anyway. um, And I get a ton of, I get a ton of emails
0: about merchandise. A ton from companies that sell that that do t-shirts and do stuff like that. And they're like, Hey, I got one from a guy, uh, who was like, you can make your Patreon income in one day if you sell NFTs. <laughs> it's
1: like, delete. Nope. Thank you. No. Um, and, you know, just silly shit like that. I don't know. It's an interesting
0: world out there. There's a lot of weird opportunities and not all of them not all of them seem good, but I do need to figure out a merchandise thing. I do have uh, ideas for t-shirts and like a coffee mug and some other stuff like that, that I at least want to start with. And then I want to do some very dumb stuff down the line with that and, and just make some, you know, some real silly shit. Um, but I don't know which company is to do it with. I, uh, I spoke with, I, I, so I bought, I bought one of Danny O'Dwyer's no clip t-shirts just to check the quality and I did like the quality on that shirt quite a bit and I asked him who he went with maybe that's maybe that'll end up being the right company I don't I don't know I need to I need to check ideally I'd be able to find a company that uh had uh shipping to uh the United Kingdom and Europe that did not cost a trillion dollars um but I don't know if any such company exists that can do the U S as well as uh, the UK and Europe without charging way too much money for shipping to the UK um, and, and all that sort of stuff. So I, I don't know, you know, it, it's um, I, I just haven't had time to even really look at that stuff uh, super closely and see what makes the most sense. But you know, but that is something I, I very much would like to do <sighs> one of these days here, man. Fuck. It's, uh, it's interesting, you know, you get a lot of high-minded ideas about like, oh, well, then we're going to do this, then we're going to do this, then we do this, and then it's like, okay, uh, also I'm the only person doing this still, and, um, and I got to figure out this, and this, and this, and this, and, this, and all this other stuff, and, uh, it adds up fast, and suddenly you're out of time, speaking of which, we're out of time. I hope everybody has a tremendous rest of your Tuesday, uh, the plan just to stream as normal on Wednesday and Friday, but as I said at the top of the show, we've got some interesting things happening around house guests, and so I don't know if that's going to impact uh how things are going for the rest of this week and uh and all of that sort of stuff so um yeah i will I will update stuff on the discord uh as appropriate and let people know if uh if those streams are moving, but in, unless you hear otherwise, I will be back here tomorrow morning maybe a little late because I think there's another doctor appointment I think yeah we did some appointments and some other stuff going on too so just bear with me we'll, we'll get we'll get on the internet we'll play some goddamn video games uh, maybe we'll find the real ZX version ZX Spectrum version of Afterburner next time and uh and all that sort of stuff anyway have a good rest of your day I'm gonna hit this music button and uh Yeah, I'll see you soon. Bye.